up, all of our Liberty-loving friends? This is another fantastic episode of Good Morning Liberty. My name is Nate Thurston. Charlie is not here at my house today. We're normally at his house, but I am joined by Keith Knight, who is a managing editor over at the Libertarian Institute. And we're talking about your new book today, Keith. How's it going? It is going very well, Nate. Thank you for having me. Now, you got a new book called Domestic Imperialism, Nine Reasons I Left progressivism give everyone a little bit of a brief overview of who you are where you were politically and where you are right now i was a uh, progressive originally but uh, what i spend most of the time doing now is uh, producing content for the libertarian institute this is an organization with scott horton sheldon richmond connor freeman and kyle anzalone we try to create a free educational archive for all things freedom related so if you want to go to our website type in any uh, issue that's in the news or anything, uh, even historical references, we try to provide an archive for uh, information on those things. I originally was a progressive because Barack Obama was the cool guy, and finally we get to get over this terrible hurdle of racism that the country, uh, that the original sin of the country has embraced. Um, it was very shocking to me at uh, his lack of ambition in closing down Guantanamo Bay Detention Center when that was the thing that got so many of us hooked. So I was wondering, it seems like a rather small promise. And, it, you know, you can always say we're going to restructure the economy and change the way everything works. But this seemed pretty doable. So when this was not even achieved, I started to question things. It didn't seem uh, like he was very ambitiously attacking it. And then the thing that just got me was the Affordable Care Act individual mandate. I remember hearing about it saying, I think people should probably have health insurance, but that's not the question. The question is, should they be forced by law to purchase this thing? And should they be put in jail if they uh, choose to opt out of it? And if they don't want to go to jail, technically, the police will end up shooting them if they resist is it that important to do what is best for, for people's own self-interest allegedly as if the people making these decisions know what's best for themselves let alone a billion strangers so it was really the gitmo issue and the affordable care act issue not to mention uh, obama's last year in office 2016 he dropped according to the uh, council on foreign relations 26,000 bombs between pakistan yemen syria Libya, Iraq, Afghanistan, uh, just absolute uh, tragedy. So I was so let down uh, by this that I was willing to look into alternatives, came across Ron Paul, who recommended I read uh, The Law by Frederick Bastiat, and I just totally saw the uh, political landscape differently after that. So you got nine reasons why you left progressivism. One of the first things you talk about in the book is actually the uh, Pulse nightclub, right? What What happened there between the lie that we were all sold and what actually happened. So this was in to, uh, June of 2016. Barack Obama is the sitting president and Donald Trump is basically every headline everywhere. This was Hillary Clinton's Pied Piper strategy to support Donald Trump in hopes that she could run against him as opposed to Ted Cruz or Ben Carson. So the two guys, Obama and Trump, were all over the news and uh, what happened was, in June 12th of 2016, Omar Mateen entered the Pulse nightclub, murdered 49 people, injured 53, and held the survivors hostage. And here is how Barack Obama communicated uh, the incident to uh, the population. He said, 
This was an attack on the LGBT community. Americans were targeted because we're a country that has learned to welcome everyone, no matter who you are or who you love, and hatred towards any people because of sexual orientation, regardless of where it comes from, is a betrayal of what's best in us. So Obama calls this the biggest mass shooting in U.S. history, which the caveat would be one individual doing it because of course the wounded knee massacre was far worse the my Lai massacre was far worse but uh, of course they never have uh, that standard for themselves one way to actually falsify this theory as to well the lesson is don't hate homosexuals you can look at the words of the murderer because in a terrorist act you don't want to conceal your motives and keep people guessing you want a uh, quick path to popularity in drawing attention to a message. So Mateen actually said in his 911 call, you have to tell America to stop bombing Syria and Iraq. They are killing a lot of innocent people. What am I to do here when my people are getting killed over there? You get what I'm saying? You need to stop the U.S. airstrikes. They need to stop the U.S. airstrikes. They are killing too many children. They are killing too many women. He goes on like this for roughly 23 minutes. There was actually one news station out of Florida who uh, gave a small uh, interview to one of the victims who said, yeah, well, he was saying that we were bombing his country and that's why he didn't like America and he was getting us back for that. Other than that, you had the total lie that Barack Obama was perpetuating and Donald Trump uh, embraced the same narrative because we get to hate Islam and that's why, you know, Republicans get to justify wars in the Middle East. Barack Obama gets to take the arbitrary divide of, well, this is a difference between heterosexuals and homosexuals and uh, straights need to, you know, get on the peaceful page uh, and uh, start living in a uh, civilized manner. So the arbitrary divide was gay versus straight when there was a genuine divide. There were people who were using violence against other people and um, so you actually had peaceful people and violent people, a much more accurate divide. The problem is if you divide people based on peaceful and violent, you see that the mass amount of violence is being perpetrated by the U.S. government. That year alone, uh, the U.S. dropped 24,000 bombs between Iraq and Syria. So it's not like he was just some paranoid guy making uh, this up. So that was uh, the probably the quintessential example of arbitrary divides that I could come up with. But other ones you get are uh, Russian versus American. Progressives are always pushing this. Rich versus poor, which is the equivalent of saying uh, you are much wealthier than the average Haitian. Therefore, uh, Haitians need to have a revolt against you, confiscate your property, and uh, have just restitution. Uh, these are uh, th these are totally fake. Black versus white is a another divide. Notice how they never mention uh, the income gap between whites and Asians, or the fact that Asians are much more likely to be accepted for a home loan uh, as opposed to whites. So they just pick two groups and constantly divide each other. My approach to this uh, or hopeful solution is that instead of having these accidents of birth. Uh, divides among the population, we can actually divide people based on who is honest, peaceful, and cooperative versus people who commit fraud, are dishonest, and use violence to achieve their ends. I would assume you'd say this is an intentional divide that they create so we don't pay attention to all of the horrible things that they are doing. Do you think that this is just clear intent by the government to keep people divided? Well, yeah. I mean, the uh, the, the Zelensky-Putin divide is probably uh, the, the most recent valuable fake one, where you have Vladimir Zelensky, who has 
outlawed 11 competing political parties, nationalized the media, canceled his upcoming election. He bombed Poland on November 15th of 2022. And the whole justification for the war is we can't let Putin take over any parts of Ukraine because then he'll act in such a way that's tyrannical against the population. Well, everything you're terrified of Putin doing, Zelensky has already done, which was ultimately caused by NATO expansion. So this is another fake divide. It's not that we should unconditionally support this anti-democratic guy versus that anti-democratic guy. And it's worth noting that democracy is basically a lynch mob uh, as opposed to, uh, you know, having any background in, you know, individual rights or freedom of contract or anything. So, uh, yeah, this is a uh, c- complete fake divide that the government uses. The general reason is once they can divide people, that gives them a justification to coercively rule over others. Why do I need this big Soviet empire? Well, because of the kulaks and because of the fascists. Why do the National Socialists need so much power? Well, because of the Jews. Why do the progressives need so much power? Well, because and the male privileges of the world. Always a fake justification. And even if those things do exist, it never, never justifies one group having a uh, monopoly on violence to solve the alleged issue, whether it's real or fabricated. Could we just uh, take a second to talk about the, going back to Ukraine? How crazy is it that they literally bombed a major piece of European infrastructure and then it was all blamed on their opponent and then we're supposed to all just ignore the fact that the Nord Stream pipeline was clearly taken out by Ukraine and we're just supposed to act like Zelensky probably had no idea that it happened and and then just move on uh, from it and never mention it again. I mean, that's a pretty crazy thing, right? A NATO member was attacked. This has to be <laughs> like at the top. We got to get to the bottom of this. But of course, they uh, couldn't be less interested. Whereas if it were a true divide, NATO countries versus others, well, then you really got to look into that to protect the NATO countries. But that clearly is just a front for we want this as a potential excuse in the future for a bigger power grab. The mm. mind's ability to rationalize, I think even the best people say AOC is very well intended. When she got up there, you know, of course saying defund the police. And then, uh, when she got the opportunity after January 6th to, uh, vote on whether the police should have an increase or decrease in funding, she goes, well, I did vote to increase police funding, but this had a lot to do with pensions that were promised to the police. So, of course, she's a complete radical, needs to rock the boat. Once she's in the boat, she says absolutely no rocking (laughs) at all. So the mind's ability to justify, even it's not just that the current people in power are all Bohemian Grove members who are evil. Even that could be the case. The problem is even the most well-intentioned people will rationalize their ability to have such a power grab if they were put in the position. That's why the free market's so important because people are still self-interested. But in that case, they still have to work uh, and create value for customers and employees in order to acquire money and power. How about another uh, – what's another reason we can get on to that you, uh, that you love progressivism? Do we call that number one, that arbitrary divides? Yeah, and uh, the second one that I chose is the unavoidable contradiction. This just th- – there's actually two parts to this. One is uh, they use the word contract uh, so uh, – in, in such a weaselly manner. Mm. Uh, they use the word contract to describe the relationship between a democratic state and the citizenry. However, uh, however this – doesn't imply that there's any obligation on the other end of the contract. So this means, well, it is a contract, you know, socially. So if you don't pay taxes, 
or if you don't abide by regulations, you're not upholding your end of the contract. So that's why they get to put you in jail. It's not like they're just randomly jailing people. You didn't uphold your end of the contract. But the other end of this is, well, the state in exchange keeps me safe. So what happens if the government doesn't keep me safe, say, in Hawaii and uh, at the uh, Pearl Harbor uh, location? Well, what happens is government gets a ton more money and a ton more power. It's not like government just goes obsolete or they don't protect us on 9-11. What happened? George Bush's approval rating goes to 91%. So we get the opposite of a contract. Politicians never go to jail if they don't keep you safe. It's not like you get to opt out of chipping in to the state with taxes if they don't uh, keep you safe. So this, far from being a contract, is just a unilateral obligation. So that is one aspect of this. But the contradiction is the fact that progressives are terrified of there being monopolies in the private sector. So they say, well, we have to have antitrust laws, and if one business gets too big, it has to be regulated out of existence more or less. They then turn around and advocate that the state have a monopoly on compulsory education, a monopoly on guns, a monopoly on the money supply, a monopoly on the right to regulate commercial interactions between people. And anyone who wants the slightest bit of competition, even between the 50 states, is called a secessionist who loves slavery and Robert E. Lee. The point in this chapter is to say that the very criticism of monopolies, that they lead to higher cost products and services and lower quality than we'd otherwise have under competition, also applies to the state, far more uh, to the state than the private sector, because you cannot legally opt out of uh, funding the state. But of course, the uh, the state only gets involved in things that the private sector just could not produce. Isn't that right? I mean, the, they're fixing market failures. Yeah, until you realize the very first road, even the Philadelphia Lancaster Turnpike, was privately built uh, going back to the late uh, 1970s. We have uh, places like Vinci Concessions today, which are uh, just providing alternatives. And uh, that's what uh, makes me so optimistic, that it's not necessarily uh, – the market exchanges based on consent – and mutually beneficial voluntary exchanges are so much more efficient. I don't know if we have to convince too many people to use these alternatives. I learned this lesson when uh, I worked at a tech company where they got ransomware and their entire business was just under siege, uh, just overnight. And not a single one of them, they weren't a bunch of libertarians. None of them said, oh, quick, call 911. We've been hacked. They knew <laughs> That, te well, technically, the police says we'll protect you and everything, but that's so inefficient that they actually called uh, a private IT company who used private uh, antivirus software called Sentinel One to keep them safe in the future. They use private security with Google Drive backups. They use PayPal private security to make sure their financials were uh, were properly secured. They contacted their private banking institutions to make sure that their uh, funds weren't accessed without authorization. So in the face of the biggest threat to their person and property that has ever happened to them, none of them said, call the NSA, call the FBI, call the CIA, call 911. They just went to private organizations. And that's what I think is going to have to happen with places like uh, Vinci Concessions has a very um, uh, impressive construction company that's building railroads in uh, places like Paris and uh, Asia as well. So, uh, yes, uh, basically anything that can be done uh, coercively can be much better achieved through the voluntary process. And what's great is that IT company, uh, whatever company they went with to protect them in the future, if that company doesn't protect them in the future, uh, they could just go to another company who could do it better 
And they might even get some money back or something from the company that they're with right now, you know, and that's the great thing about the private market. All right. What's the uh, next reason you can give me here that uh, you left progressivism? So the next reason uh, came to me from uh, Lysander Spooner's book, No Treason, the Constitution of No Authority, where he says, all right, um, this title is chaptered Consent of the Governed and Gay Marriage. So Spoon, uh, progressives will say that, well, democracy is just someone ruling over someone else, but democracy, we are the state. But Spooner mentions that, well, when the Constitution was written, no one alive today was alive back then, and not everyone could vote back then. It was a very small number of people. And even if everyone at that time said, this document is brilliant, I endorse it 100%, how, in what way does that actually bind future generations? Could any organizations do this? If it's so legitimate, well then, Walmart, the Koch brothers, Amazon, the Red Cross, Goodwill, all these companies should have the ability to issue contracts based on, well, your great-grandpa agreed to this, so now we're going to impose it on you coercively. So that is uh, vitally important when it comes to the idea of uh, why uh, Democrats and progressives have a double standard for the state. So I really thought that uh, the gay marriage issue under Barack Obama uh, was justified, more or less. And here is how progressives generally justified uh, uh, gay marriage at the level of the Supreme Court, saying – they are adults, and they can do what they want with their lives. Straight people can get married, so gay couples should be able to as well. It's their bodies, their choice. Your personal opinions shouldn't stop other people from pursuing their happiness. It's such a small thing for straights to live with, whereas gays can get a great deal of fulfillment by being married. And all bad things that can happen in a gay marriage can also happen in a straight marriage, and those shouldn't be illegal. So all it really took for me to abandon progressivism was take this concept – of any exchange or commercial contract between two consenting adults is legitimate. I just took that principle and extended it to the commercial realm. So uh, that's why at the Libertarian Institute, we advocate decriminalizing all capitalist uh, acts between consenting adults. <laughs> so you actually took something that progressives were arguing from, and that sent you away from progressivism because uh, they somehow only seem to apply that to specific things. How do you get away with, you think, in your mind, picking and choosing what situations, principles apply and do not apply? Have you ever tried doing that yourself? I certainly have <laughs> tried. Once you're in that uh, level of thinking, once you get out, it's hard to, uh, to, to go back in. But I think it's really about um, people's ability to get a green light from someone who they respect. So, when Hillary Clinton says that I support the, you know, Defense of Marriage Act, which means gay marriage is not going to be the law of the land, versus when she says, oh, yeah, I've completely always supported gay marriage. Credit to Anderson <laughs> Cooper, who even called her out on this. Um, Barack Obama, of course, said, uh, I think marriage has uh, been defined properly as, uh, you know, between a man and a woman. And then it was under his administration that uh, gay marriage is legalized at the level of the Supreme Court. So once people are given a green light, they can justify almost anything, and it has a lot to do with uh, the emotional connection they have. If, if you've never met a gay person, 
then maybe it's just something that would never cross your mind. But if you do know someone who you care about and then it turns out they're gay, well, you can, uh, you're much more likely to sympathize with them. So, uh, it, I think it's definitely a mix between, uh, getting the emotional connection of what's important and how it really can damage someone's life, uh, state interference and, uh, getting the green light from, uh, someone like Barack Obama. Look at, uh, the, the GOP. Uh, people like Vivek Ramaswamy are gaining popularity after they say we should abolish the FBI and fire half of all government employees based on the last digit of their social security number. You <laughs> never could have assumed that uh, under the George Bush administration. The average Republican never would have gone for abolishing the FBI or the CIA or the ATF. But uh, w- but now they've been given a green light by cool, confident Vivek, and a lot of them are uh, on board. So I think uh, that's actually how people make decisions. Sidebar here, given that we could not have been talking about this uh, 20 years ago, or likely wouldn't have been talking about this, and we are right now, does that mean we're headed in the right direction? Are you hopeful, or is it just because things have gotten so terrible? I am uh, definitely hopeful, especially with uh, people like Javier Malay using a populist Mm. Rothbardian message to communicate the true divide in society, the parasites who achieve their ends through violence, whether they're uh, private or public, and uh, people who are uh, productive in the marketplace. Because even the rich versus poor divide that progressives use doesn't differentiate between thieves who get a ton of money and people who make a product or service, like Cornelius Vanderbilt giving railroad and steamship access to millions of people whereas only kings had access to it before, or Henry Ford making the car much more affordable. They put those people in the same category as Raytheon, Northrop Grumman, and the Dick Cheneys, who are just lying, murderous thieves, more or less. So, yeah, uh, once people uh, got a taste of a true divide from someone who is really passionate like Javier Malay, I uh, am optimistic in the long run. It is really cool to see that happening. I just hope that we don't have to get uh, as in uh, terrible of a position as Argentina did before we decide to listen to someone who's talking about these things. Uh, Please, no. Hopefully, hopefully that doesn't happen. All right, we've got more coming up with Keith Knight. Been a great interview so far. I just want to tell you guys that you can find the whole interview also on our podcast, Good Morning Liberty, which we do a new episode Every single day of the week when we want to, talking about life, liberty, and the pursuit of meaning. You can also join the live group. You can hang out with us during these shows every single day of the week by going to joingml.com. That gets you a membership to the Fed Haters Club, where you can comment, put in submissions for show topics, and of course, Dumb Bleep of the Week when we vote on that. You also get discounts on merchandise from GodHatesFeds.com. That's our merch website over at GoodMorningLiberty.us. Go do that, and we'll be right back with Keith Knight. Eleutheromania, the insatiable desire for freedom. It's the new three-song heavy metal EP from Captain Kickass. Available now on your favorite music app or get it directly from CaptainKickass.com.
y'all. This is Liberty Unite with Nate and Charlie on the Free Talk Live Network. We're talking to Keith Knight and nine reasons he left progressivism. All right, what's another reason that you left? Tom Hartman is a uh, progressive, and uh, he had a video, and I remember seeing the title of something like The Fatal Flaw of Milton Friedman Libertarianism. And I saw it, and I go, oh, son of a gun. He's thought of something that I have never come across. This is basically it. We're going to have to wave the white flag. And he said the problem is something called market failure. And uh, this is uh, the reality that we live in because when you go to purchase a computer, the people selling the computer have a lot more knowledge than you do. Therefore, there's a power differentiate a power differential between the customer and the producer, and the state needs to come in on behalf of the customer and rectify this uh, information asymmetry. They also come in on the side of the producers when it comes to things like tariffs, when they don't want to compete with Germany or Japan or anyone else, but usually coming in on behalf of the consumer. The problem is that uh, while this does apply to the market, it applies far more so to the political realm. All voters are not equally informed. The average voter is very uninformed compared to how things really work with the average politician. So I guess we need the United Nations to step in and cure this information asymmetry. However, whoever's working at the UN uh, is going to have a big information asymmetry with the average person in any country on the planet. Consider the asymmetry between information you have access to versus uh, someone who has access to classified information. There is huge information asymmetry in the political realm, but at least in the free market, you're able to disassociate with people, and the process of competition decreases uh, the amount of information asymmetry that will exist. That's why the market provides things like Yelp, Google reviews, um, good housekeeping uh, reviews. You can go on YouTube and get almost any product that's available. You can find a review from someone who's trying to develop a good reputation. So information asymmetry will always exist. The question is, should we have it in the voluntary sector or the coercive sector? And I uh, try to make the case that uh, we should have it in the voluntary sector. What number would you say we're on right now? Did I lose count? Let me see. So uh, that was Four. the fourth one. And yes. the uh, the fifth one, I titled this section, College, Four Years of Work for $0 an Hour. So the progressive will uh, proudly say that all work is worth $15 an hour. So this means that college should necessarily be illegal because people do a ton of work, both in class and homework, for four years and Sometimes they not only don't get compensated, they have to pay thousands of dollars in order to perform all this work. Well, it turns out there's no difference in principle between working at college and working at an internship for a firm or working at McDonald's and not getting compensated. So my point in this is if we can find an example of a ton of people doing something for a very long amount of time that is considered work, which pays $0 an hour, not just a dollar or two less than the federal minimum wage. But if we could find an example of something like that, that progressives advocate, well, then certainly uh, people can work for $1 an hour at their first job. And it turns out that we see a uh, big disparity between the average uh, income of a 16-year-old, 26-year-old, and 36-year-old. This is not by design because the minimum wage still applies to the 16-year-old and the 36-year-old. What happens is people gain on-the-job experience and employers are competing for 
uh, uh, for both customers and employees. So they try to attract them with uh, higher wages. And they're able to be more productive because of capital investment and things like machinery and computers, which make each employee worth more. So the case is that on principle, uh, the minimum wage uh, should not be respected at all. It stops people from getting uh, on-the-job experience, which leads to them ha- having higher incomes in the future. And it raises the cost of doing business when there's something like a minimum wage. So this means we have fewer businesses. We have fewer access to products and services as customers. We have higher prices and lower quality than would otherwise exist in the absence of a minimum wage. And then you have to say, well, everyone will be getting one cent an hour. It turns out a microscopic amount of people currently earn the minimum wage when working full-time, and even the people who do, do not earn it for more than a few years until they're able to get a raise or get a promotion or something like that. Not because all employers are just uh, you know, totally selfless, because they are self-interested. They want to attract the best employees available. So uh, that Chapter 5 is just my case against the minimum wage. Um, I remember hearing Ron Paul was like the very first person who I heard uh, come out against this. And I just couldn't believe it. It it, it was something I like, uh, I'm like, how could this idiot not support at least some minimum wage? So that's why I had to dedicate a whole chapter to, uh, to to making the case. But uh, the other example uh, that I provide of uh, employers are innovative and taking employee considerations into account in the absence of state coercion is uh, the amount of, uh, workplace deaths I cite on page 18 before and after the uh, in uh, before the Occupational Safety and Health Administration was uh, was implemented. They will brag and say workplace deaths have gone down since OSHA. What they don't look at are uh, the three decades preceding OSHA where uh, at place uh, work deaths were uh, falling at a much faster rate. Uh, let's see. We're on number five. Let's go to number six. What's that? Equality and the iron law of oligarchy. So the progressive will have a North Star when it comes to uh, saying, well, some policies should be enacted and others shouldn't. The ones that should be enacted are ones that promote equality. And we know an injustice has occurred when there is massive inequality. The problem is, is that uh, the iron law of oligarchy is something that is uh, within all people and all organizations, regardless of even uh, economic structure. This is why under communism, Chairman Mao had much more power than the average uh, person in China. It's why uh, under you know Nixon's regime at uh, the, the same time in the much more capitalist America, Nixon still had a lot more power than uh, the average American. So here's how the uh, Iron Law of Oligarchy is summarized. All complex organization, regardless of how democratic they are when started, eventually develop into oligarchies since no sufficiently large and complex organization can function purely as a direct democracy. Power within an organization will always get delegated to individuals within that group, elected or otherwise. So the lesson here is that anytime a progressive says, well, we need uh, to have a healthcare system which is based on democracy, we have to uh, have people voting, this way they're empowered, and they can choose what's best for them. The problem is, is that any great thing in society that we have, cars, microphones, computers, internet connections, printers, cell phones, these are not the result of there being a huge vote 
and then people collectively deciding what's in their best interest. It's a small elite of experts who compete for the voluntary dollars of the average person. So any progressive solution that relies on we need to give more political power to the average person is not necessarily going to empower that person at all. The classic example that's used by uh, the founder of this idea, I think his last, his last name is McKells, Robert McKells, uh, is the example of a labor union. So uh, progressives will say it's wrong to have a bourgeoisie and a proletariat. There's only a few of them, and rule by the few is very bad. So we need to form a union. The problem is not every member of the you know workers goes to the union meeting. Not every one of them speaks up with their ideas of how the union should be run. Not all of them are uh, equally persuasive, uh, and uh, not all of them are able to communicate their good ideas in such a way as to really motivate people to get them to vote for this, uh, uh, to vote for, you know, this sector of how the union should be run versus uh, other methods. So because you have such a drastic uh, range in personalities between union members, some members of the union are going to have much more power than the others. And then this is why, you know, you have someone like Jimmy Hoffa having tons of power within a union, whereas the average union member did not have that much power at all. So the iron law of oligarchy is what essentially makes progressivism a uh, fool's errand. We cannot have equality on the basis of everyone chipping in and people shouldn't uh, have an equal say in things imagine if just insert whatever your favorite uh, television show is imagine if instead of comedic experts writing and competing for viewers attention we all voted on who should get cast what the script should be it would be so inefficient and the end product wouldn't even be good because you'd have a lot of non-experts contributing uninformed ignorant opinions and then not bearing the cost if they end up producing a bad product so um the importance of recognizing uh the uh, inherent inequality in, between beings is uh vitally important because it's going to exist in under capitalism socialism communism syndicalism you're always going to have massive inequality but the importance of the free market is it takes this inequality and turns the oligarchy into servants of the consumers so when the oligarchy whether it's blockbuster myspace sears or kodak even the most powerful people if they don't meet consumer demand they can end up going under exactly uh, so what's important is that those people don't have a monopoly on violence in the way that they can just keep their <laughs> keep their rule no matter what si- type of service they're providing. What's funny is as we're going through and you're talking, I'm like, oh, I'm going to ask this as a question. And you basically tick off every question that I would ask about everything uh, by the time we get there. <laughs> so um, that's you're really you're really good at making sure you cover all your bases when you're talking about these things is what I'm saying. So, uh, good good job on that. What's the next one? Number 7. I titled this Voter Suppression versus Economic Suppression. So, the progressive will say um if you know, you were to uh ask the average progressive, shouldn't uh, we make sure that uh we protect voting by making it so you have to have a driver's license and a birth certificate and you just have to pass a test in order to vote? You know, just to uh make sure that people aren't voting ignorantly. Immediately they say, Well, who's gonna run this test? It's gonna be totally biased. Second, Warren Buffett and Jeff Bezos are not gonna be hurt by this. It's poor people who don't have access uh, or who don't have the spare time to go get this license, to go find their birth certificate. Heaven knows where mine is, come to think of it. <laughs> and 
Uh, and this test, well, I don't care if it's 15 questions or so. That's one more hurdle that stops the person from being able to vote. Well, if you are stopped from voting, it is not, it might have a psychological effect on you, but whether your vote is taken and put into the ballot box or the paper shredder, it's not going to have an effect on the outcome. However, economic suppression, which is the uh, concept of needing multiple licenses and permissions from the state in order to start trading with people in the commercial realm. Well, who do you think that hurts? We don't see Warren Buffett on his knees begging, please take away the licenses. Because, I, I don't know if he's evil or not, but because he can afford it, that it never crosses his mind. Whereas the people who experience lockdowns, those small businesses who went out of business, not Walmart, not Amazon, but all the small businesses, well, it really disproportionately affects them. So for the same reason uh, progressives don't want licensing in the voting realm because it hurts the poor and most vulnerable, you certainly don't want it in the economic realm where it actually has an effect on your everyday life. It stops you from getting the job you want, stops you from getting into a network of people who have the skills and experience who you want to associate with. This is a far greater crime than uh, voter suppression. So for the same reason you should be you know, against Jim Crow laws or uh, anything that requires uh, some people to have a vote and others to have to obey them. There's no difference uh, in the economic realm. Here's the example I use of economic suppression on uh, page 27. I cite a title from Reason Magazine, Jay Austin's Beautiful Illegal Tiny House. At a cost that ranges from $10,000 to $50,000, tiny homes like the Matchbox could help ease the shortage of affordable housing in the capital city. This is taking place in Washington, D.C. Heating and cooling costs are negligible. Rainwater catchment systems help to make the home self-sustaining. There's an attractive option to the very sort of residents who the city attracts in abundance. Single, young professionals without a lot of stuff who aren't ready to take on a large mortgage. But the tiny houses come with one enormous catch. They're illegal in violation of several codes in Washington, D.C.'s zoning ordinance. Among the many requirements in the 34 chapters and 600 pages of codes are mandates to Finding lot sizes, room sizes, alleyway widths, and accessory dwelling units that prevent tiny houses from being anything more than a part-time residence. So, you are coercively stopped through economic regulations under the guise of helping you from getting the house you want to live in, and this is seen as helping you. But suppressing someone's vote, which is never going to change the outcome of an election, that's seen as like the worst thing in all of human history. So. One way to represent people is to give them a one in 10 million vote every four years, but that's not really representing them. You can much more accurately represent people by giving them the economic freedom to make their own choices. Yes, it'd be nicer if they lived in the Great Gatsby Mansion, but for people who can't afford it, these ten dollars to $50,000 houses are great options for people who don't have that many skills and they're not going to live there forever. They just need a part-time residence. So, uh, Seeing this case, this real-world example of how these regulations, which are how we stick it to the rich and make sure they're not taking advantage of us, actually, yes, they hurt the rich, and that's not a good thing, but they also hurt the very vulnerable people that you're trying to protect. So uh, that is my case against uh, economic suppression, and that it's not just akin to voter suppression. It's a thousand times worse because you're actually affecting the person's overall livelihood. We also uh – I was going to say, I was going to ask earlier, I mean, don't these licenses protect people? And even they protect poor people, probably. I mean, you wouldn't want your doctor to not have a license or name whatever scary thing I can come up with. And so, therefore, the, governor sh the government should 
uh, offer licenses for occupations, right? I mean, we just, we can't have a system where people don't have licenses. That's scary. Not scary at all. Uh, what's scary is there being a monopoly on who gets to provide the license and give their stamp of approval for uh, what is allowed to be traded in the marketplace. So there is no such thing as having no standards. It's like, do we have standards or do we not? Anytime you interact with someone in the marketplace, their freedom to disassociate from you is a standard. And that's why it's important we have standards for uh, the private institutions that uh, we give our money to. So the question is, should the standards be based on competition or monopoly, where I can look at your credentials, I could see who you're certified by, well, who does, who certifies the certifiers. So uh, you constantly have this competition of uh, c- uh, competing standards uh, in order to attract employees and customers. So that's one way to do it. And another way is to have a monopoly, which is the Food and Drug Administration or the Department of Agriculture. So as dangerous as it can be to have people voluntarily doing things, it's much worse to have a monopoly where it takes four years of schooling in order to get a license to uh, become a doctor. Well, there are a lot of nurses who don't do as much work as the doctor. They should not need as much schooling. There are people who do uh, research online because maybe they can't afford to go to college. Those people should not be forcibly stopped from getting on the job experiences and working at uh, medical organizations. So uh, the false divide is standards or no standards. The real divide is either we have a monopoly on standards, a state, or we have uh, competing standards. What people need to realize is if a, say, a private organization were giving their stamp of approval on on someone, say, on a drug, uh, they were given their stamp of approval. Well, if that turned out to kill people, uh, that company would go out of business. They have a vested interest in doing a good job and only putting their stamp of approval on something uh, that isn't going to kill people. Whereas the government has a monopoly and they're just going to keep doing it. Uh, a private company wants to be able to keep getting money from organizations so they can put their stamp of approval on it or they'll go out of business. And that's why it's better to have a voluntary system. Exactly. And it, even if they're a private organization that does bad, I mean, Jim Cramer is famous for having terrible <laughs> predictions and he's in the private sector. At least no one makes me coercively give my money to Jim Cramer. So, yes, he's in the private sector. Yes, he's wrong. But at least I get to disassociate with that psycho. <laughs> I think I have a weird prediction. I think this is his year. I think it's his. I've been seeing a lot of people post about it and I'm I'm having a feeling that this is going to be his year. We'll see. Um, I, saw I don't that know. He said 2024 is going to be great. And Sally Akeris <laughs> just said RIP everyone. Yeah. <laughs> he's, he's talking about, uh, he's, ta- he's talked about Bitcoin. He finally came around on Bitcoin, which is uh, not no! good. You know, yeah, he said that uh, there's no stopping Bitcoin. And, uh, and so we'll see. We'll see what happens now. Uh, he's started talking good about Tesla, saying Tesla's in a great position. I'm like, oh crap, Elon, you're screwed. We're going to lose Twitter over this somehow. I don't know. Um, all right, let's get these last couple out of the way here. I know I've hold, I've held you for a long time today. Let's Number see, eight on- is, uh, yeah, it, I titled it government provided does not mean universal. So the progressive will frequently say we need universal education and we need uh, universal health care. This is basically saying uh, I want everyone to have a thing instead of just some people having access to a thing. 
But so if the goal is to have everyone access something, that doesn't tell you what the process should be for achieving that goal. So most people have access to books, not because there's a book law of universal book, but because in the private market, places like Amazon, Barnes and Noble, and publishing houses have decreased the cost of books to make them more affordable. When it comes to things like accessing free universal education, places like Internet Archive, LibertarianInstitute.org, and Wikipedia.com and Odyssey.com are far better at giving people a free education, as well as YouTube. Uh, Got to give them credit. They have a lot of educational materials along with the Khan Academy. So just because you want something universal – Probably the last place you would want to provide this product or service is the state who doesn't have an incentive to meet consumer demand. So the question that I bring to uh, the mind of uh, the progressive is government currently controls the justice system. Would you say that we currently have free, universal, guaranteed justice? And they go, well, uh, no, it's actually run by white supremacists who basically hunt uh, people of color uh, for fun. Okay, well. Uh, that's the police. How about uh, the soldiers? Uh, do we have free universal guaranteed military? And they're like, no, we spend way too much on the military. Okay, so immediately you see that just because government do- pays for something doesn't mean it's free. The soldiers get paid. And if the state controlled all of healthcare, the nurses and the doctors would get paid. You'd still have to build hospitals, and those cost money, and those allocate scarce resources away from other ends. So people are still making decisions where some people get what they want and others do not get what they want. So the goal in this chapter is just to uh, strip the progressive of the confidence of, I think things should be free and universal when it comes to things like healthcare and education. There is no such thing. And if you want more people to have access to something, you want to make sure it's in the voluntary sector uh, as far as uh, provision goes. Yeah, we do. You know, we do a pretty good job with food we'd all die without food and uh we don't have the, the government providing this free universal mcdonald's uh, for everyone but we've done a pretty good job here in america of making sure everyone's got plenty of food and so that's always my good example because it's healthcare is something's very important people would die without health care well every single person in the u.s would die without food and we found a way to provide that uh very plentifully here in the u.s in the private market uh for for fairly cheap I think, by the way, we've done a pretty good job of bullying, of cyberbullying Nina Turner and the clarifying when she says free. I've seen her a few times put at the point of service in in her post because she I think we've all collectively freely voluntarily decided to cyberbully her into not calling things free anymore. And I just wanted to present that as a win for, for all of us. We've done a great job. You know, Nate, it just occurred to me that Ruth's Chris Steakhouse is free at the point of service. The other day, I ordered a steak, and they brought it to me. I mean, later, they charged me. But at the point (laughs) of when it was served, I didn't have Mm -hmm. to swipe a credit card. So I guess Ruth's Chris is free. And Apple is uh, is free. I uh, just walked into the place, and they gave me the phone. Now, the next uh, 15th of the month, they did send me a bill. But at the point of service, mm-hmm. it was free. Yeah, I mean, uh, the, 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 the Zoom crazy. call was free. The Zoom call was free at the point of service. I paid uh, paid a couple weeks ago for this <laughs> Zoom membership. Uh, it, they didn't charge me anything to do this call today. So the it's free at the point of service. Idiots. <laughs> Racist idiots like Nina Tur- <laughs> She was on the Joe Walsh show saying that, yeah, we've run the numbers and uh, reparations should be uh, about uh, 13 to 15 
trillion dollars. That's what uh, the, the current experts are uh, are estimating. The idea that you should take money from one race to give it to another because a microscopic member of one race some time ago committed acts of atrocities against the other is just so psychotic that this idiot racist psycho has any influence. But uh, she's uh, got her own show at, uh, the, at the Young Turks now. And Cenk Uger's running for president, so she's got uh, c- quite a few followers. Which, uh, which is odd. You'd think that a population that has free, guaranteed universal income would be so brilliant with all the free <laughs> education they get that they could never fall for such a racist crap. By the way, um, conveniently enough, reparations are the only debt she thinks people owe. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, really. Uh, loans you chose to take out? You're not responsible. No, no. Slavery you never participated in? Oh, that's on yeah, you. That's on you. That's You'll on never you. forget about that you, you one. Gotta, you got to yeah, pay up. That is your responsibility. None of the other ones are your responsibility. I All right. actually had not looked at it like that. <laughs> All right, coming right up, we're going to speculate wildly about some stuff from last week. Then we're going to do Dumb Bleep of the Week. On Free Talk Live, we're bringing people to the ideas of liberty every day. From wrestling superstars like Glenn Jacobs. You guys really are having an impact, I believe. Like I said, uh, a lot of where I am now is due to listening to Free Talk Live. You changed my mind on some very important issues years ago. To random people tuning in on the radio. I was kind of stuck in the left-right paradigm. I heard your show by chance on a Saturday night. From there, I went on joined the Free State Project and become an amplifier. So, I mean, that's really the reason why I amp is uh, because I know that if it wasn't for you guys being on as many stations as you are, I never would have found the ideas of liberty. You can help more people hear the message of liberty by joining Free Talk Live's AMPS program on Patreon for as little as $5 a month. And you'll get access to special perks. Visit amps.freetalklive.com, amps.freetalklive.com. What's up, everyone? This is another fantastic episode of Liberty at Night with Nate and Charlie on the Free Talk Live network. And Free Talk Live is brought to you by Dash Digital Cash. With fees of less than a penny per transaction, Dash is made for spending. Dash is one of the oldest cryptocurrencies and is widely available on exchanges, including the decentralized EMEA protocol and in multi-crypto wallets. Thanks to Dash DAO for sending us 32 Dash per month for this sponsorship. It's easy to get and use Dash, and you can learn more at Dash.org. That's Dash.org. Well, this is, as I said, Nate and Charlie with uh, Liberty at Night, but we also go by another name. It's Good Morning Liberty. We do a brand new show every single day of the week, except for today, really, because of all this uh, freaking snow that's coming through the country right now. But anyway, let's get in to this episode. How's it going today? Well, currently digging a tunnel. Our resident Jew tunnel expert yep. over here. Currently digging a tunnel under my own house. Okay. To try to figure out. Just see if you can link up. Just see, yeah. I got you. We can all connect. All right. Well, we can uh, we can talk about that here in a, here in a minute, and, and maybe we'll mention how weird the year is. It's only January 9th right now. We got aliens in Miami, Jew tunnels in New York, and, and here we are stuck in the middle with the Fed Haters Club. Uh, you can join by going to join GML 
Bet.com for as little as seven dollars mm-hmm. a month it used to be six i warned you for about two years that it was going to go up and then it did go up all right inflation it's a hell of a thing and the real libertarian fee went up as well because if you're going to pay one time we need it to be worth like several years of paying monthly okay yeah. that's just that's just the bottom line right there because that's how we pay that's it. the bottom Wow. That's how we pay the bills around here, okay? It's by the Fed Haters Club coming and hanging out with us every day. So if you want to do that, go to joingml.com. I told Charlie we were going to speculate wildly about some stuff today. I'm I'm not uh, overly prepared for today. I've been working on the uh, show for, for the radio show uh, and uh, cutting clips and stuff. Did you for say that. Liberty at night? No, because I've already got a whole show Gold put together. Dern. This isn't for the radio. Oh. So unless we want it to be for the radio, we can make it for that. Yeah. I don't know. We'll see. Um, there's a, do you want to get right into the tunnels or do you want to talk about some of the other news first? We when, can talk about the other stuff When first. would you like yeah. to speculate wildly about? Mm. Okay, so let's talk about real news. Undercover FBI agent Ray Epps <laughs> got, <laughs> he got sentenced uh, today and he's going to get a year of probation. Mm. That's which is a very typical sentence for people that were involved in the January sixth yeah. insurrection. Most from people what have I said, "Hey, tell. let's go in." Yeah, they all got like the people you actually probation. got on video telling people to go into the building and and uh, maybe telling someone to take down a barricade and stuff like that. Those people got let off the hook pretty mm-hmm. easily, and yeah. uh, so Ray Epps is one of those guys. Now, the reason I wanted to talk about this is it's not that I have any proof that Ray Epps was an informant or anything like that. It's it's just the fact that he was an informant. It's just that um, all roads lead <laughs> no, to him being an informant. Now, the funny part is, is the, the way that the media has just been, has made this guy into a victim. Remember, we talked about that, I think, a lot last year, how the media has made him into a victim. When anything else that involves January 6th, which is the worst day in American history... Uh, that I can recall, yep. of course. Well, you know, the day the democracy died. Yeah, I mean, it was the. It was definitely the day that the world ended, from what we can tell. Mm-hmm. We just had an anniversary of that day, and anytime you talk about that day, of course, it's the de- it's the death of democracy. It's just like nine eleven and Pearl Harbor stuff like that. But when the media talks about Ray Epps, they have to defend him with their very last breath every time because the media always shapes the way that you think about a story mm-hmm. by the words that they choose and their headlines and then their articles. And when they talk about Ray Epps, they try to make him into a victim every single time. Like this article title from AP, Ray Epps, a target of January 6th conspiracy theories, gets a year of probation for his capital riot role. And you go to the first paragraph here, a man targeted by right-wing conspiracy theories about the U.S. Capitol riot was sentenced on Tuesday to a year of probation for join, joining the January 6, 2021 attack by a mob of fellow Donald Trump supporters. But just think about the way that they frame the story right there. He's not, uh, they could have easily rewritten that paragraph or written the paragraph to say, a Jan 6 insurrectionist who was caught on tape telling people to go into the Capitol and potentially telling people to take down barricades while wearing an insurrectionist MAGA hat the whole time uh, was sentenced to a comparably extremely light sentence of one year in probation, while others have received 17 years years in prison for their roles and some people who weren't even at the January 6th riot. 
They could have easily said stuff like that in the first paragraph. Mm -hmm. But instead, they have to say, right-wing conspiracy theorists have attacked this poor old Ray Epps. This poor guy right here. Mm -hmm. So what do you think, Charlie? Is he an informant? I told you we're going to speculate wildly today. So, I've always, you know, my my great non-birthing parent (laughs) always told me that if it looks like a cat and it walks like a cat Mm -hmm. and it smells like a cat and it paws like a cat mm-hmm. and it makes biscuits like a cat yes then it's a duck all those things it's a duck exactly that's the same thing that my non-birthing parents said yeah great one yeah the great, yeah i mean your your younger generation doesn't know that same mm-hmm. but the, the older ones if you had the the privilege yep. of talking to your great non-birthing parents then yeah it quacks all the time we don't really have to go any further <laughs> into the story i just wanted to say this is weird is it not weird mm. the way that they have to frame all these stories and they're so dead set on protecting this guy? Of course. And the way that they want to frame the story. Yeah. And it, that is what creates, in my opinion, it creates the conspiracy theories. Like if they would be talking about this guy like they talk about everyone else that was involved in this, then okay, that'd be a, a little bit more understandable. But the way that they have to protect him all the time, I don't know, man. Something yeah. stinks over here. The way that you have to frame it. Yeah. yeah. I don't know. The truth doesn't need to be framed. Just It just needs to be said. That's it. So uh, this one is a day old now, but I wanted to use this to segue into another story of who's probably going to replace Joe Biden as the uh, nominee for the Democrat Party. Uh, but a, a J.P. Morgan strategist is predicting that Joe Biden's going to drop out of the 2024 presidential must be race. listening to this podcast. I think he is. <laughs> I think he is. Uh, because they're saying President Biden will eventually decide to stand down and not seek re-election this year. Citing health reasons. That's the, yeah, a top J.P. Morgan Chase strategist predicted over the weekend. Uh, Michael, uh, probably didn't used to be his first name, who heads the market of investment strategy unit in the bank's asset management division, believes that the, not normally the people you go to for political <laughs> opinions, but whatever, believes that the 81-year-old Biden will drop out of the race sometime between Super Tuesday and the November election, citing health reasons. Yeah, but this is important for for investments. I guess so. Yeah, they yeah. look at stuff like they that. Have to, yeah. Mm-hmm. So uh, when is Super Tuesday? March fifth. Okay. So between Super Tuesday and uh, the November election, our call on this podcast, which we've been saying for uh, four or five months, something like that, has been that he's going to drop out. I think in or all, drop dead. One of those things. Yeah. <laughs> um that it's going to happen in August, uh, maybe late August or maybe early September. And the reason being is that the, uh, the, the, uh, convention, the democratic convention is August 20 if ish, something like that. And if they wait to select Gavin Newsom, if he gets the nomination officially, if he accepts it at the convention, then if he drops out the week after, then the actual DNC gets the pick who the nominee is going to be. They don't have to do any kind of primary. Mm-mm. They don't have to ask people to come and vote or anything like that. So once he's uh, accepted the nomination, he can drop out immediately afterwards, and the people who are on the Demo- Democratic National Committee can pick who the nominee is going to be. And then they, they have to get, like, what, 200,000 signatures per state to get them on the ballot? I'm not sure. <laughs> no, um, no, no, I think it's... Uh, oh, you're, just, you're talking about libertarian oh, rules. This is a Democrat rule. Yeah, they it's just 25. switch it out. Yeah, it's, it's just 25 yeah. for democracy. Okay. You know, it's 200,000 if you're a libertarian. <laughs> someone who's not a Republican or a Democrat. Yeah, okay. So, 
Not actually 200,000, by the way. It's 56,000 in Tennessee and various Various state to state. That's true. I think Texas is really bad. I think think New York is pretty bad with that. Other states are a little bit easier. Um, Is Illinois bad too? Tasco Warlock says Illinois is bad too. I I would not doubt it whatsoever. But I have seen some libertarians on the ballot in Illinois. I don't know what the rules are. Uh, this brings me to, uh, we've said Gavin Newsom a lot, but I'm I, I'm curious as to why Michelle Obama is out here talking politics so much lately. Uh-oh. And th- this, this could potentially be a, a problem because I think she actually has a better chance than Gavin Newsom at winning oh, she, if yeah. she gets thrown in late like that. Mm-hmm. And uh, she's out here talking Which- to him. I don't know how she could win with the patriarchy and the racism. I know it would be impossible. <laughs> you know, after as bad as this, the, this country is surely as no bad. woman's going to be president just simply because of the patriarchy. I mean, hate is but as a bad woman as it's of ever color. Been. No, it's not possible. You're telling me that most people are going to vote for a woman of color. Well, I mean, if she loses, that'll be why. Yeah, for sure. No, if she runs, she'll win. I, I actually 100%. I think that could be the, she'll beat case. Trump. She'll beat Nikki Haley. She'll beat all of them. Absolutely. Man. And you know who the most upset person is going to be about this? Hillary Clinton. (laughs) (laughs) Michelle Obama did not kill herself, just so everyone knows. (laughs) Uh, Let's see what she had to say. But then also, how are they going to keep spinning the narrative? Which narrative? Of Of this patriarchal racist society if we elect a black woman to be our president. Well, you know, Michelle Obama's actually a man anyway. So, I mean, that'll be why she gets in. Manchelle Obama. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> that's another conspiracy theory i've seen online um, she will i'm not i can't see any way she loses she could literally go out there and say like wh- whatever she could go out there and be a libertarian and still win i i think i think that's probably true she could go out there true. she could be like trump and, and murder someone on fifth avenue <laughs> she could say that if she wins the presidency that she would drop a <laughs> nuclear bomb on new york city michael obama <laughs> <laughs> the actual name and she would still win let's see what she had to say is there any way she loses if she runs or if she gets nominated by the dnc because biden drops out um no i think i think she would win she wins yeah against anyone i think she would there's no one else like if i think biden were 15 years younger i think he would win easily i think what kills him is his age for like most people, like most people. Yeah. yeah. Um, I, I think what kills him is, is just how clearly dementia ridden his brain is. Mm-hmm. And uh, if it weren't for that, he would have a little bit more support. Uh, so yeah, I think she would probably win. Let's see what she had to say. You know, are we moving at all fast enough? What are we doing about education? Mm-hmm. Are people going to vote and why aren't people voting? Are we too stuck to our phones? I mean, those are yeah. the things that yeah. keep me up because you you don't have control over them. Mm-hmm. And you wonder, where are people, where are we in this? Uh, you know, where are our hearts? What's going to happen in this next election? I am terrified about what could possibly happen because our leaders matter. Who we select, who speaks for us, who holds that bully pulpit it affects us in ways that sometimes I think people take for granted. You know, the fact that people think that government, eh, you know, it's, it's, it doesn't really even do anything. And I'm like, oh my God, does government do everything for us? And we cannot take this democracy for granted. And sometimes I... I... Okay. Ugh. 
Well, there's a big problem right there is the last thing she said. Government does everything for us. By the way, she only said about 10% more than Kamala Harris says in an answer to a question. I mean, that was just a bunch of word salad dancing around. You know, she hardly said anything until the end Mm -hmm. of that video. Um, Does does government do everything for us? You people who think government doesn't do anything, you know? Yeah, another, what Bailey just pointed out, she's a, she's losing sleep because this is just people voting or not. It's just something that they can't control. And she's losing sleep over this. She wishes they keeps could control her up it. At night. She wants to control the voting process. Yeah. You know, keeps her up at night. The idea that Trump could be president or Biden's going to lose this. And people need to realize that government does everything for us. They have their hand in everything. And there's the problem, by the way, folks, that this doesn't have to go with this conversation, but you want an answer to all the problems that we talk about all the time. It's the fact that the government does too much stuff. Mm-hmm. All right. It's the fact that they have too much power and they are, it is too consequential who was in power. We in talk Washington. on this show all the time that if, if they didn't have that much power, it wouldn't matter who was leading. Mm-hmm. You know, it would just be another president. Yeah. That would take care of some, you know, public service duties that we need. Sign some constitutional laws, possibly. Mm-hmm. You know? Negotiate with foreign dignitaries. But now that we have this bureaucratic deep state, like it becomes pretty important who the person is that's running all that because that's the executive branch that's running this. And we'll talk about a part of that coming up with the Department of Labor here uh, later on because they're doing something that that drives me nuts. But the the problem is the government has too much power. Even when you talk about, uh, I was I was uh, listening to someone talk about the Epstein thing and people trying to influence power and what you know taking them and filming them and then having control. Where the problem is that they have the power in the first place. You shouldn't be able to influence and get them be able to control them and get them to do what you yeah. want because the power shouldn't even exist. And therefore, then Epstein wouldn't exist, and then therefore, child sex slavery wouldn't exist if not for the government. You have the answer. Okay, maybe not that far. But Here's the other question. It would still exist. Why does she look so surprised? <laughs> I don't know. I mean, her eyebrows are up there. <laughs> they, 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 are. they are. Wow. I think it's her hair is pulled back really tight. That's what yeah. it is. Kind of stretching, mm-hmm. stretching up her forehead. Could be Botox. Like or if you like pull that. back, like this is basically like kind of what's going on. Don't I look more surprised mm. already? I don't know. Just imagine if you're getting pulled back like this. Guys, we don't understand this, but you're like this all the time mm. i think that's what she looks like so it's just her hair and you need to stop being so racist you know i, I would say sexist. that if she was white i'd so, be like wow those eyebrows are up there yeah but you would have said in the nicer way <laughs> <laughs> you know yeah God, mm. your dr pepper cans are getting in the way over here okay of what i'm trying to find the x over there i got it. i got it now i already got it ma'am okay this brings us on to the next Hot topic of the day: Jew tunnels. I <laughs> uh, saw this going. More conspiracy. Well, folks, as many of you know, back in 2017, my wife and I bought a house in Nashville, Tennessee. It was a massive risk, but it's turned into a massive asset for the two of us. We spent tons of time and money remodeling and making this place our own, a comfortable place to carry us into the future with our little nieces and nephews and our family coming to visit all the time. Things like this are worth protecting, and making an estate plan now means we can gain security and peace of mind for ourselves and our loved ones. 
With Trust and Will, you can create and manage a custom estate plan starting at just $159. Go to trustandwill.com slash GML for 10% off plus free document shipping. We're currently using Trust and Will's simple-to-use website to build our will. I'm amazed by how easy this website makes it to do something that's so important. Think about it. If something happens to my wife and I and we don't have a will, who gets to decide what happens to our assets? The government. Uh, No, thank you. I don't trust them to even resurface the roads that go to my house, let alone decide what happens to my biggest asset after I'm gone. I've seen it happen with other members of my family when they passed. They didn't have a will, and man, was it a mess for their family to get everything sorted out afterwards. I know it's not something we like to think about, but it can happen to any of us at any time. Get the peace of mind you deserve by creating your estate plan with Trust and Will, an overall rating of excellent and thousands of five-star reviews on Trustpilot and used by hundreds of thousands of families and counting. Secure your assets and protect your loved ones with Trust and Will. Get 10% off plus free shipping of your estate plan documents by visiting trustandwill.com dot com slash gml that's 10 percent off and free shipping at trustandwill.com slash gml let's talk conspiracy we're spe- speculation tuesday is what this is called right now yeah. just going to speculate wildly that's what most shows do we keep we've been talking about this a lot lately yeah. but if we just decided that we didn't need any factual basis or evidence for anything that we talked about ever we have a lot more fun talking about stuff. Yeah. You know? Let's just speculate about now, everything. I have these little triggers in my mind saying, don't say that. Don't say, you don't know. Don't say that. You yeah. don't know. And so it stops us from saying a lot of stuff. But I'd like to speculate wildly about Jew tunnels in New York. Don't talk about Noah. Um, read this story from Colin Rugg, Chuck. All right, just in, but this was overnight. Yeah. Chaos breaks out in New York City after underground tunnels were discovered under the Shabbat Lubavitch World Headquarters. I don't speak Hebrew, so no. yeah, it's I'm Lubavitch. Prob- Lubavitch. I don't. Yeah. I don't know. Lubavitch. Chabad. Lubavitch. in the bitch. Lubavitch. Bitch. Sorry. Uh huh. The incident below reportedly took place to prevent a cement truck from filling the tunnels in. According to the Crown Heights info, the tunnels were made in the past six months in an effort to expand 770. Other reports suggest the tunnels were dug by yeshiva men during COVID after they were locked out of 770. The tunnel reportedly stretched from the uh, mikvah. mikvah building to the women's portion of 70, 770. wonder what they were doing. <laughs> the tunnel was discovered after someone started hearing people in his home. About 10 arrests were made after some refused to leave the tunnels, according to someone's TikTok account. Yeah. And so here's a video. (laughs) This is crazy. The guy climbing out of the sewer crates. That's that's a Ninja Turtle if I've ever seen one. This is worse than Jan 6th. Get off that guy's curls. Not gonna help. They tried it. 
dude getting arrested. They probably had one rule about this tunnel. Don't make any noise. <laughs> someone made noise. Number one rule is don't talk about the tunnel. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> that got broken, clearly. Yeah. <laughs> clearly not part of Tunnel Club. <laughs> they broke number rules number one and two. they're speaking Hebrew and stuff I can't understand it yeah I don't know why they're cheering Rumspringer (laughs) sorry wrong people okay so that's what happened it's the chaos breaking out in New York. We'll get into more of this on the back half of the hour and also talk about how Biden's trying to destroy the gig economy on Liberty Night and the Free Talk Live Network. This hour of Free Talk Live is brought to you by Dash Digital Cash. Dash is the cryptocurrency designed to be used for spending. Tired of the ever-inflating U.S. dollar? You can live your life on Dash instead with some handy websites. BitRefill.com has been accepting Dash for years and has a ton of big-name retailers and brands including grocers, gas stations, phone refills, Amazon, and even prepaid MasterCards. Plus, many of their gift cards are available at a discount. But what about paying your bills? Spritz.Finance can do that, and they can send dollars to your bank account in case you still need those for some reason. Dash is one of the oldest cryptocurrencies and is widely available on exchanges, including the decentralized Maya protocol and in multi-crypto wallets. It's easy to get and use Dash. Start by learning more at Dash.org. Thanks to the Dash DAO for sending us 32 Dash per month to promote Dash on the air. Visit Dash.org to learn about Dash. Dash.org. <laughs> What's up, y'all? It's Liberty at Night with Nate and Charlie on the Free Talk Live Network. Almost done with the show, halfway through. Let's keep it going. Let me talk to you about this weird situation going on now. We're, we're, we're libertarians. Okay, we got differing views on immigration, and a lot of people do. But did you see the story about this uh, school I see this. <clears throat> up in New York uh, where the kids were moved to, uh, uh, what do they call it when the kids learn from home? I can't, can't remember, remote remote learning uh, because of the weather, but it wasn't because the kids couldn't go to school. It was because they had to move all of these immigrants uh, out of their temporary tents that they had for them out on out on this uh, airfield, I believe, and move them indoors in the school. And so the school's closed because they had to move all these people in. It's not that I hate the immigrants. You see picture, you see video of them getting off the bus, and some of them are holding children and stuff like that. There's this video of this mom who's uh, like yelling at people as they're going into the building, and she's upset. And I feel bad for her, and I also feel bad for the people that are getting off the bus at the same time because they're human beings. But, you know. I'm an agitated mother, that's why. Yeah, look at that. 
She's like, I'm sorry, I thought this was America. <laughs> Take it over my kids' school. She's from Brooklyn for sure. <laughs> Staten Island. <laughs> so I don't really agree with what she's doing. First off, because she's not yelling in Spanish. They have no idea what she's yeah. saying. <laughs> she's probably, she could be congratulating them for all they know. <laughs> I think people should come here. I think this is a better country than pretty much every other country. And there's a reason that people want to come here. And I, and I feel bad for whatever situation it is that they're coming from. And, these moms with their kids getting off a school bus, going to sleep in a gym for the night. I feel bad for them. At the same time, I wonder, I wonder how long this whole millions of people coming across the border thing is actually sustainable. I know that we have a philosophical belief in that people should be able to freely travel and they should be able to go wherever, but I wonder how long that's actually sustainable. Well, this is, but this is the problem though. People aren't, it's not like they're freely coming here and they have to like set up their own lives. The government is using stealing money from you to then house them in places that it wasn't earmarked for. Let's say, let's just even say that. Yeah. There wasn't money in the budget earmarked to house illegal immigrants in schools. They steal your money to set up schools. And the whole idea is they're going to educate your kids. But now they're repurposing these buildings as Milton Friedman said back in the 80s, the only good immigration is illegal immigration because they didn't qualify for any government assistance back then. Back then. But now they do. But the problem is not the immigration. It's not the people. It's it, the fact that the government is is trying to take care of... Look, these people would find a way to take care of themselves. They would. <clears throat> and if they didn't think that they had this option, like if, if they were like... Hmm. The government may not take care of us if we cross the border. They may not cross the border yet until they can get themselves to a place where they can cross the border and take care of themselves. Mm -hmm. So that's true. Like if you knew that you were going to come across the border and literally about band-aids all the time, literally just be homeless and hungry and the government wasn't going to do anything for you at all. Uh, which is the way it should be because they shouldn't be stealing money from other people to take care of other people. Now, different organizations can get together and take care of people if they want to do that, but voluntarily. But if you knew that the government wasn't going to house you in a school or build a little tent city for you or take care of you in every which way, uh, then maybe you wouldn't decide to come across the border. And to, you know, what you were talking about with Milton Freeman, what he meant was the the only good immigration was illegal because people could come here. They would not qualify for benefits, but they could come and work and be productive in society. Maybe they were working, you know, uh, under the table or whatever, but they could come here and be productive in society, which is good for everyone, but then not be able to take out of the uh, system. And so that was the actual best way to do it because the system that we had, and that's just not the case anymore. You see, uh, we just talked about California, sex changes for illegal immigrants, and along with all the other health care that they provide for people in California. We say that's a California problem, but what happens when California goes belly up? You think that we just uh, break it off of the edge of the U.S. and let it float out into the sea? No, that's, that, that's not what happens. The, the federal government takes your money and bails them out. That's what ends up happening. And yeah. so it ends up being a national problem. But once again, aren't these people getting what they voted for, though? Well, the, maybe, 
this lady yeah. might not be getting yeah. what she's voting for. You know, it doesn't mean that she agreed to this thing happening. She probably paid for her kids to go to school. And now she's got to, what, stay home from work tomorrow to, to take care of the kids and let them do remote learning. What I'm actually starting to, to really wonder is, do libertarians need to have, like, what's our solution for this if we, if we got in power? Because well, I don't think well, what's but, happening right now is actually sustainable for very long. And there's also problems as it uh, pertains to the census and immigrants being counted in the uh, population, which uh, controls the proportion of seats that you get, which can actually change the amount of... You're, they don't even have to vote, but you can get more congressional seats in areas where people are going, yeah. even if they're not voting. And in, in that way, Texas and Florida are doing everyone a disservice by sending people to Chicago and New York and California, because then you're potentially giving them more congressional seats. So <laughs> that, that could have been the plan all along. Yeah. You know, here's the thing about something like this. Libertarians get a bad rap about things like this because they're like, oh, libertarians aren't compassionate. That's going to lead into this next tweet here. Oh, yeah. It's not that libertarians aren't compassionate. See, we actually care about the entire livelihood of these people. Mm-hmm. Okay. And the problem with these types of things, it's not that libertarians aren't compassionate or we don't want to help the poor and the needy. We, we believe in all kinds of volunteerism and, and supporting soup kitchens and homeless shelters or whatever. There's all kinds of libertarians who actually go out in the community and do real work to help people. Here's the difference between government assistance and like compassionate volunteering assistance is for the most part, people who receive help from uh, nonprofit organizations and people who are volunteering their time and resources to help those folks out. When you get help from an organization like that, most of the time you kind of feel like you're a little bit of a burden and you kind of want to give back and you're, you're grateful for the help and all of that stuff. When you get it from the government and you and you maybe you help vote for it or whatever the case is, now you feel entitled to that. Mm-hmm. And you're like, this is an expectation well, that if I'm not doing well, well, I, I can fall back on the government is forced to help me out. Well, there's a big incentive and, difference. A nonprofit has and, the incentive to actually help people and get them into a place in society where they don't need help anymore. And the government doesn't have that incentive because they just get more money the more people need their help. And so the nonprofit has the incentive. Well, but also for the person themselves, I'm saying the incentive, like, and I'm going back to what libertarians actually care about, which is I care about the entire livelihood of the people and their children becoming productive members of society for themselves, right? Because if you spend your whole life always needing help and everything like that, you're just always not, you're not going to feel like a very good person Mm -hmm. for the most part, psychologically. You also won't have as good of a life. Right. If you are able to believe in yourself and develop skills and provide for you, there's something that inside of humans, you feel so accomplished and And then you can go and help other people Mm -hmm. in need. And you can come from somewhere like, man, you know, my family crossed the border and we struggled, but we learned some things and and we built up a life and we're proud of that. And now we're in a position we can help other people. And it's not like providing assistance and helping people out is not what libertarians want to do. It's just, it has to be done in a way that is going to be best for everyone. And I get so sick of libertarians get a bad rap for this because I've never, when I spend time with libertarians for the most part, almost all of them 
are extremely compassionate people who volunteer their time and services at all kinds of places, especially here in the state of Tennessee. The the party spent its time going and helping the victims of the tornado and going and helping in homeless shelters and, and volunteering their time doing community service work. Uh, libertarians actually go out and live those values. Mm-hmm. We just don't believe that the government should be doing things like this because it's not helpful. And it's also and, not, it's not real when the government forces it. What's what the real change in society takes place when people voluntarily decide to take it upon themselves to help other people. It's and, not, not when it's forced on other people. You want you, a, a true change in people. And if you travel the world, most people don't even want this. When you travel the world, I spent time in Peru and, and other places you spent time in uh, definitely really poor third, third world countries. And you go and talk to people in these villages. They don't want handouts. What they want is they want an opportunity to do something with their lives, to build something for themselves and their families. And that is what's actually going to be sustainable. Stuff like this isn't sustainable. It's not. It's a losing game. So when you bring it back to the immigration thing, and uh, I think where libertarians stand is that it's not the immigrants themselves are not the problem. People coming here is not the problem. It's the fact that we have all of these systems that take from all of us. And by us, I mean U.S. citizens, taxpaying citizens. I don't mean like us and them to dehumanize people or whatever. But we have all these systems that take from us uh, to take care of other people. And that's just not going to be a sustainable situation, especially with millions of people coming here every year uh, without taxes going through the roof or whatever it may be. But the problem are all of those. So the problem is California deciding that they're going to use taxpayers' money stolen from the taxpayers to pay for other people's health care or the fact that they're going to, one, use all the taxpayers' money to build the school in Brooklyn or wherever it is and charge people a bunch of property taxes and stuff for the school and then tell the kids that they got to go do remote learning and the parents got to stay home and watch their kids. And then also that we're going to pay a bunch of government officials to bring all of these other people that we're paying to house and come stay in a building that all these other people are paying for. It's just not a sustainable situation. It's going to keep getting worse and worse. And so I don't Especially really know what have to do with 60% it. Especially 60% of Americans mm-hmm. living paycheck to paycheck. Yeah. Credit card debts through the roof. The economy's not doing well. 60% figure, by the way, is... Well, let's use their is figure. Iffy, is iffy. Let's use yeah. their figure. <clears throat> right? We just got to tax the rich. I, yeah. <laughs> it's, it's just... Yeah, that's the thing. This type of help is not sustainable, which is why most... So your most uh, homeless shelters and things like that, they're temporary. Mm-hmm. They're, they're to help someone in need so that they don't die... Okay. And maybe this is a situation where they're trying to do something like that because it's so cold. They're like, well, these people can't be living outside. It's, like, might, it's an emergency. We might, have to bring people they might in tonight. Die. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So let's get them into a building where at least they'll be warm. But that's what, you know, volunteer, homeless shelters, all kinds of things that they're, they're temporary situations to when someone, uh, to keep someone from dying or to keep someone safe until they can get back on their own feet. And you, those programs are designed to help people get back up on their own feet to be productive members of society. Then they can turn around and contribute later on and help other people in need. And that's what we really should be doing here. Let's bring in this uh, to our conversation. This person, Sally Girl, got some traction and then she turned off uh, mentions and stuff on there because probably some libertarians were being a-holes in their responses. 
she said, talk to me about libertarians. They scare the S word out of me with what appears to be extreme selfishness. But maybe it's something else? Question mark. What am I missing? Why do they seem so hostile to the idea of the common good? So ex- there you go. Extreme selfishness. And she's genuinely asking. She's saying that libertarians scare her. I want to get responses in the group to what her question is. Oh, she's saying they seem hostile to the idea of common good. Well, they, I think she has a misunderstanding of what the actual common good is. Uh, first off, here's the, here's the text from the tweet. I just posted that in the group. If anyone wants to uh, respond to it and we'll, we will read your response live on the air. Um, who's common good? Who decides what the common good is? That's one thing I want to know is it's 51% of the people decide what the common good is. Uh, the other answer is, what she mean? A lot later on in these uh, posts, she starts talking about roads and bridges and stuff like that. You know, um, libertarians believe that those things could be done better than the way that the government does them. It's not that we don't think that people should have roads. I'm pretty sure most libertarians also like driving on roads. Yeah. Okay. For the most part. But the idea is that these things could be done voluntarily and that they would be done voluntarily because they're a necessity in society. Therefore, people would voluntarily choose to do them. The common good, what are you talking about? Healthcare for all? Is that actually better for everyone that the government pays for healthcare? Is healthcare actually going to get better at that point? Maybe libertarians see the writing on the wall that healthcare wouldn't actually get better. Maybe we don't want to pay for school for everyone and have tuition-free college because that would just make college even worse at educating people and even more expensive at the same time while taking money from everyone, more and more money from everyone at the same time. And so I think what I mean is I think she has a, there's a little disconnect here on what the actual common good is and what she perceives to be the common good. Extreme selfishness means that people own themselves. It means that I have a right to my own body and to my own self and the fruits of my labor and the product of my labor and that I can best determine what should be done with those things and what's best for me, that no one else has that power over me. That's a really dangerous, slippery slope, obviously, because where does that end? And so extreme selfishness is uh, the way that most people operate. A lot of people just won't uh, admit it. I'd love to have that conversation sometime uh, with someone. But, you know, you got to put your mask on before the, before the person next to you, just like those people on that Alaskan Airlines flight. You want to put yours on first because if you pass out, you can't help the person next to you. Mm. So it's actually a better way to have an even better common good for everyone. What's truly better and what sounds better to talk about. And libertarians get this, even though it's very tough to implement. There's some uh, comments in here, like uh, that going along with what you said, misrepresenting the common good for government. Um, we're hostile to government extortion <clears throat> um, and selfishness equals personal responsibility. I think that's a good one is libertarians believe in, in personal responsibility and taking responsibility for yourself and the people that you love. And then if everyone did that, then the society you would create would be much better mm-hmm. um, instead of you when, cause when you create systems of common good, as we've seen throughout history, and this is, that's the other thing libertarians are really good at is history. When you see those systems develop, it's not like you get rid of selfishness. No, it's not like you get rid of selfish desires. Government, People, government officers are selfish. They want to win reelection and keep their job. 
And so they say what they think they need to say to keep their job. Well, not only that, but even in, in even in the common good systems, selfishness still takes place, and the people who get the most food in the bread lines are the ones who go first. And who goes first? The ones in power. Mm-hmm. So well, they don't even have to stand on the bread lines. But they, exactly, they don't, <laughs> bread's brought to them. Exactly, they're <laughs> they're fed along with all the other foods that no one else can have. Everyone else gets the crumbs. <laughs> yeah, right. So that's the common good there. So do you want a system but, set up like that? Or do you want a system set up on private property, uh, profit incentive? Like which one is the better common good? A, a system where people are driven by profit incentive and private property or a system, but like what's brought the most common good to humanity? Capitalism or government regulations? Which one would you say? What government program has brought more common good to humanity than someone operating within a capitalist market trying to make money. Which one is it? There probably isn't one. Well, and then I think Costco brings up a good question, which is, uh, is it selfish for libertarians to want to keep their own money? Which you is want mo- people to keep their own money. Which is more selfish for someone to keep their own stuff or for you to have a right to take someone else's stuff? Yeah, but that's for the common good. But <laughs> even if it's for the common good. Yeah. You know? Should the American Red Cross have the right to just take $10 from everybody's cell phone and tack it onto your cell phone bill, regardless of whether or not you send that text message? And if you don't pay them, they send them with guns to the house to lock you up in an American Red Cross prison camp somewhere. Mm -hmm. You know, no, that doesn't, that's not what I want. That's what we allow the government to do. Yeah. So which one is, which one is actually selfish? So anyway, the answer to her question is we, we have a, disconnect a disagreement on what the common good is and what the actual goal is the common good comes from what libertarians how libertarians want society to operate with private property rights individual liberty you will have an even better common good afterwards so we are in essence pursuing the common good but that's not the goal i think it's magoo that said it in here that's not the goal that ends up being the end point is a better common good but it's because we're pursuing our own selfish desires or needs. And that ends up being better for everyone in the end. And then being allowed to freely trade Mm -hmm. those selfish ideas and needs exactly with people. And then to be able to freely help those in need, you know, to, to, and, and to not be forced into giving up resources that we know are going to be squandered. That's the other thing. Mm-hmm. We're fighting for the common good, but we, we actually care about the problem. See, libertarians understand what drives human beings, the incentive structure, the psychology of human beings, what makes them productive if you're struggling with something. It's all personal responsibility things that you have to do to get yourself into a better place. And not placing blame on other people and waiting for other people to change and blaming them and you being dependent on their actions and what yeah. their decisions. It actually it actually brings the power back to yourself in the situation. Libertarians are fighting for the common good. Our idea of getting there is based on uh, morality and ethics mm-hmm. and and actually helping people achieve what they need to achieve to be better people. Yeah. Which in turn makes a better community, which makes a better state, which makes a better nation. That's what libertarians are fighting for. That's not extreme selfishness. No, it's actually, it's actually solving the problem. And that's the problem right there is that (laughs) what we want to do 
would actually solve the problem. We gave a speech, God knows how many years ago now, about how libertarianism was the most compassionate ideology because we're the ones who actually want to solve the problem. We actually put forward ideas that would truly solve the problem. You're worried about college being too expensive and so you want tuition-free college and you get to talk about how you're compassionate because you want to force other people to pay for college students to go to school. You might feel compassionate and other people might agree with you. Well, we want to actually solve that problem. You got to ask questions. Why is school so expensive? Why don't we have more schools? Why are people going for so many years when they could just be going to a trade school? Why did the cost of college explode when the government took over all of the loans? You got to answer those questions. And when you answer those questions and you come up with a solution from the answer to those questions, you could truly solve the problem and make college more affordable and really help people. Mm-hmm. And that's real compassion. Yeah. Not just talking about taking money from other people to help them. And actually with these folks, we probably agree on most of the problems. Yeah. Like is college too expensive? Yes. Is healthcare too expensive? Yes. Yeah. Are groceries too expensive? Yes. Has the price of housing gone up too is much? Is housing too expensive? Yes. Elizabeth Warren tweeted the other day that the, the answer to the, uh, the housing crisis was simple. We just don't have enough housing supply. She was like, it's economics 101. We don't have enough supply. I was like, okay, well, why do you support every regulation that makes it harder to build a house? Yeah. Like all the time, every yeah. day. Mm-hmm. Uh, but she's the compassionate one because she wants to make sure no one's taking advantage of people or whatever uh, the reason may be, but these regulations end up making it way more expensive for someone to buy a house. So, yeah, once again, it's the most compassionate ideology. And uh, as libertarians, we should focus a little bit more time on explaining why and not just assume that everyone is as smart as we are. We should take, <laughs> I guess we can't reply to her anymore, but we can. No, she's got that. We could uh, quote tweet her. Yeah, we could quote tweet her with, yeah. a, with a clip. Mm-hmm. Let's this do that. episode right here. All right, let's go. But Sally, you should, uh, you should join the libertarian movement. Do it. Yeah. Start. You can, you can uh, ask us questions. And by the way, there's no reason to be mean to people who ask questions like this. No, I think she's actually genuinely trying to figure out what libertarians are about. She didn't even say that they scare the S out of me with what, uh, with their extreme selfishness. She so said it's, it scares me with what appears to be, but maybe it's something else. She's giving the benefit of the doubt. Yeah. Why do they question. seem so hostile? Not they're hostile. So don't just jump on and be... They seem hostile. ...be mean to people, because apparently she says later on that's why she turned the comments off, because there's only 21 comments on this thing. All right, you know what time it is. It's time to get ready for Dumb Bleep of the Week on with you at night. This is Liberty at Night with Nate and Charlie on the Free Talk Live Network. Well, every week on our daily podcast, Good Morning Liberty, we do something called Dumb Bleep of the Week. That's where the Fed Haters Club gets to vote on the dumbest thing. We got 10 of them. Let's go. Is Donald Trump for Dumb Bleep number one. Because Donald Trump has been out there arguing about presidential immunity. And this quote, actually, we'll just play the video of what he has to say here. Let me go to, this is from one of the Krasenstein out here, Donald Trump. Here we go. And on the big screen. Do you agree with your lawyers what they said on Tuesday, that 
you should not be prosecuted or could not be prosecuted if you ordered SEAL Team 6 to kill a political opponent. Well, you're talking about a totally different case, the immunity. I say this, on immunity, very simple, if a president of the United States does not have immunity, he'll be totally ineffective because he won't be able to do anything because it will mean he'll be prosecuted, strongly prosecuted perhaps, as soon as he leaves office by his by the opposing party. So a president of the United States, I'm not talking just me, I'm talking any president has to have immunity. I don't like this idea. Yeah. Let me just tell you that for Dumbly number one. I'm not a fan <laughs> of this idea. We should be able to get away with anything. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Otherwise, the other, other party is just going to put us in prison. One of the arguments that uh, his lawyers made in court uh, had to do with him, if he had SEAL Team 6 take out a political opponent, that he like he would have immunity from this. I don't know the entire context of the argument, but you heard it right there. He is arguing that presidents should have immunity from the things that they do while they're in office. My suggestion is, like yours, I'm sure, Charlie, would be don't break the law. Yeah. How about if and if the if we've made it to this point where we're saying, yeah, a president just can't do anything without breaking the law. I don't know. I think maybe we shouldn't have presidents anymore. Yeah. I don't I By don't know. By his what to logic, do. everyone <clears throat> should have immunity because we'd all be scared to do anything mm-hmm. because we don't have immunity. You know? <sighs> yeah. We don't we're all ineffective. Or how about this? No one has immunity, and we just put each president in prison for whatever laws they broke while they were in office. But and you, let's just set that precedent. You remember his, on the campaign trail, you remember his uh, speeches. He's out there saying, we are a nation of laws. Law and order? Yeah. Law mm-hmm. and order. Keep the peace. Law, we we're all about, we're the party of law and order. He said, except for presidents. He did say that in there. Yeah. <laughs> except for me. Yeah. And well, I he guess, wasn't just talking about him. He was I guess for Joe Biden too. He wants presidents. He doesn't yeah. support this this impeachment thing with with Biden right now. I would assume, you know, no, he must not. People, uh, how about just everyone in government? Can no. any can anyone in government truly do their jobs without uh, breaking laws? Yeah, Charlie. Now I the just, truth is, there's uh, at least all the presidents in our lifetime have definitely broken the law. Yeah, so they should all be prosecuted. Mm-hmm. Sure, let's do it. Yeah. I'm all for it. Although let's give the devil his due here. I think what he's trying to say is that if we set this precedent, then it's just going to keep happening. Mm -hmm. So the Republicans are going to prosecute Biden and then it's just going to keep happening. I think that's what he's trying to get at, but he's actually taking it a step further, which is saying that we need to codify immunity for presidents of the United States. Which is well, insane. Well, what he's asking is that we go back to see in the old days before Trump broke this glass ceiling. Yeah, the jinx. old days. The old days. No, I mean before last year or the year before, whenever it was, we all used to accept the fact that presidents just broke the law, and nothing ever happened. And that's what Trump is asking for us to go back to, because presidents have not been prosecuted before, and all of them have broken laws. But he wants to, he wants it codified now. Yeah. Yeah. I guess so. He wants to have some some precedence for the president on this matter. Mm. So that's dumb. That's dumb bleep number one. That's why that's why it's in there. So maybe he means, do they have natural immunity? Possibly. Is he talking <laughs> about diseases? I'm not sure. I don't know. Okay, here's something. Uh, it's, a real, it's a real thing going around. Uh, this The uh, Robbie Starbuck, who's not someone I'd always take for putting real stuff out there from a source at Delta Airlines. Delta is asking employees to capitalize black and brown, but write white in lowercase. Uh, Delta must stop this. Here is someone's screenshot that they put out. And um, if you're just listening right now, this is a inclusive 
language guide says race and ethnicity style note capitalized black and brown and delta communications unlike black or brown white should be lowercase uh, when referencing race ethnicity or nationality be as specific as possible it is weird that they is this coming from their DEI classes yeah, I would assume yeah. this is their what do you call the thing that you have to go through the sensitivity training or mm. whatever yeah um, racial sensitive. I don't remember what you call it because I've never done that before, but I'm sure you've had encountered something like that. Nope, never have actually. That's good. Yep. Um, they specifically say, unlike black or brown, you lowercase for whitey. Mm-hmm. All right. Now that's kind of ridiculous. I wanted to pull up why they're doing this because there are people who put out standards on this, like the AP, who's kind of like a standard. So they have this thing called like the AP style book or whatever they call it, explaining AP style on black and white. <laughs> Even in the title right there, they capitalize black and lowercase white <laughs> right there. Yeah. Go ahead, Charlie. All right. AP style is now to capitalize black in a racial, ethnic, or cultural sense, conveying an essential and shared sense of history, identity, and community among people who identify as black, including those in the African diaspora, diaspora and within Africa. The lowercase black is a color, not a person. AP style will continue to lowercase the term white in racial, ethnic, and cultural senses. Now, this isn't, this really isn't that new. If you go back and look at the Declaration of Independence, they capitalized all kinds of letters in there. Random, random yeah. things. It seems random. It wasn't at the time. And then you got Trump come in and he does all caps yeah, on everything, right. just so not to offend anyone. So does Karen. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We also now capitalize in, uh, indigenous in reference to original inhabitants of a place. These decisions align with longstanding capitalization of distinct racial and ethnic identifiers such as Latino, Asian American, and Native American, and African American. Now they're changing it to black. <laughs> Our discussions on style and language consider many points, including the need to be inclusive and respectful in our storytelling and the evolution of language. After review and period of cons- uh, consultation, we found at this time less support for capitalizing white. White people generally do not share the same history and culture <laughs> or the experience of being discriminated against because of skin color. That, what they're saying right there is unlike white people, all black people are alike. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> In addition, AP is a global news organization and there is considerable disagreement. Ambiguity. Ambu- ambiguity. I can't say that right now. Ambiguity that happens every once in a while and confusion about whom the term includes in much of the world. We agree that white people's skin color plays into systemic inequalities and injustices. And we want our journalism to robustly explore those problems, but capitalizing the term white as is done by white supremacists risks subtly conveying legitimacy to such beliefs. (laughs) They they can't capitalize white because white supremacists capitalize white. So if you capitalize it, then you're a white supremacist. What if you write it in cursive? That's the thing. Uh, I don't know. That would be racist. I'm not sure. Bet. So that's dumb bleed number two right there. This kind of thing is, is it's re- listen, is this a big problem in society? Like a lot of people having problems with this. I would say it's kind of ridiculous for this to be in your hiring packet at your job yeah. uh, at Delta and to be... T- and Should be capitalize you could. Nate, I'm asking you. I have no comment on the matter. You can capitalize if you want to. We should uh, ask your Asian ancestors. <laughs> it's too racist, Charlie, for the, for this podcast. I'm asking we questions. We don't say things like that on I'm here. I'm asking questions. How can asking questions be racist? Oh, it's because I'm white. Anything I'm, you do is racist. Plus, when you white. said white just then, I felt like it was capitalized. <laughs> 
I don't know if you meant it to sound like it was capitalized. Let's move on to the next dumb bleep. This came from the group. We heard about it yesterday. Leave your snow on your sidewalk and face a $500 fee in Cedar Rapids. Mm. How about that? How about it? That might come into play this weekend and early next week. All this freaking snow coming through. Also, whose sidewalk is it? This is your sidewalk now? I guess it's yours. It's your responsibility. I thought the city owned that. But it's a public sidewalk. Sounds like forced labor, in my opinion. Uh, I don't know. And Cedar Rapids not clearing your sidewalk of snow in a timely fashion could generate a fee of more than $500 if the city does it for you. Does it for you, meaning I guess it's your sidewalk, although they're implying that other people have the right to pass on that sidewalk, meaning it's public property, meaning that if the city does it for you, it's not for you, it's for the city because it's public property. And what do your tax dollars pay for? Obviously not not clearing sidewalks. No, no, because they got to charge you if that actually happens. Mm. The code requires owners to remove snow and ice from their adjacent sidewalk within 48 hours of snowfall. Sidewalks are considered public right-of-way, but adjacent property owners nonetheless are responsible for them. Weird. How are you responsible for something that has been deemed a public good? Mm. It's important to understand the city is not in the business to make a profit from sidewalk snow removal. Solid Waste Superintendent Mark Jones said in a statement, there is an entire market of opportunities to contract this service or arrange for the generosity of neighbors, family, and the city would need, would prefer no property owner face sidewalk abatement fees So we ask property owners to maintain compliance. He noted clear pathways are important for many residents to reach a bus stop, businesses, or other destinations. Bring a shovel. Uh, Council member Scott (laughs) Olson says he often gets messages in the winter from people who can't get to the store or church because a sidewalk is snowed over or too icy. And naturally, when the government gets a call from uh, citizens saying that the sidewalk needs cleared. The government then goes to the private property owners who don't own the sidewalk and then forces them to clean the sidewalk or fines them. And if they don't pay the fine, that's probably going to end up being like a tax lien on their house or something. I and would here's bet. the question. If it's your sidewalk, like what if you li- like, like snow? Yeah, I like snow, but it's not <clears throat> your sidewalk. It's a city sidewalk. I know, that's the problem. People can walk on but it. It's your responsibility to clean it. And if it's yours though, what, can you, can you stop people from walking on it? Here um, in my community, the sidewalks are, they're part of the, it's the HOA's responsibility. Yeah. My neighborhood, everyone just fends for themselves. But we pay, we pay a fee for that. Yeah. You know, like you pay. And you agree to pay that fee when you come in. So it's like, it's all, it's all contractual. Yeah, I can see that. Uh, Robin Brunner, chief operating officer at this place that doesn't matter, says that the new fees are a mixed bag. People use wheelchairs or with have other, is that what that says? Use wheelchairs or have other physical challenges rely on clear pathways. So a steeper penalty could help spur better compliance. Yeah. <laughs> on the other hand, it could also be a hardship for property owners with disabilities who are elder or who are elderly or others who may physically struggle with the task. People with disabilities are twice as likely to have low incomes. And I suppose they also have to find a way to clear off the sidewalk in front of the house. I don't know. I didn't even think about that. Yeah, but yeah, I mean, but to people who can't actually to, like grandma <laughs> keeps getting this $500 fine. Because she's not, get the hell out there, grandma. Clear that sidewalk. Really? This is your sidewalk, is Martha. Is this a real thing? Yeah. Come on. Surely they have some type of carve outs for senior citizens or people who are disabled, it right? It doesn't look like it. I mean, there has to be something. Someone who, uh, Bailey says they don't. Yeah, you could put a plow in your wheelchair. 
You put a blade <laughs> on the back of your wheelchair and just, or I guess you put a, a front plow on there and just, yeah. and just really push through there, you know, like yeah. Stephen Hawking on his way to a, a midget convention, <laughs> some kind of thing. Little person, sorry. This one is dumb. I wouldn't say it's like off the wall, dumb like other stuff, like slapstick, dumb laughing at it, but this is a dumb premise anyway. Um, got submitted in the live group, uh, so thank you for the submission. A uh, 1964 Supreme Court case suggests the First Amendment doesn't protect misgendering people. Misgendering people, yeah. I was going to say gingering people, which is trying to act like people have red hair when they don't. (laughs) But this is a different one. This one is misgendering people. Don't misginger me. I didn't pull, I don't, well, I do have the actual article here, but I I got caught up on, I became an expert on this court case today. So don't worry <laughs> about that. While I was watching Fear the Walking Dead on my phone, yeah. I um, got caught up on this court case. And this happened back there in the civil rights area. And uh, this lady named Mary Hamilton, uh, she gets in trouble for the uh, act of civil disobedience. She goes to court and she wants to be called Miss in court instead of Mary. You see, alleged, apparently what they used to do in places like Alabama where this took place is uh, they would call white people by Miss or Mr. or whatever. And then if there was a black person in court, they'd just call them either boy or girl or they would call them by their first name. They wouldn't give them what they call in this article, I believe, a honorific. Because she essentially refused to comply with them in court because she wanted to be called called Miss instead of Mary. She wanted to be called like the white people were called. Uh, she gets contempt of court. She gets fined. She goes to jail, uh, I believe, for five days. This goes up to the Alabama Supreme Court, and they uphold it. It goes to the U.S. Supreme Court, and they actually say uh, they have to call you Miss if that's what they call white people. And hmm. so, actually, your conviction is thrown out. And so she wins this court case because her preference was to be called Miss. So, this article is taking this court case right here and saying that that means that the First Amendment does not protect misgendering people. Now, that's a really dumb premise because, first off, you'd have to be talking about government officers and government buildings in legal proceedings. Uh, even uh, to begin with, because that's where what this case was covering, because they found it under the Equal Protections Clause uh, in the uh, 14th Amendment. And that's why they said, well, if you're going to extend that honorific to uh, white people, then you got to extend it to all people. And that's what they found. See, I learned all this while I was watching the episode of The Walking Dead. Uh, earlier. <laughs> but what if you just want to call everybody by their first name, then you just like, okay, we're not going to call anybody miss. And so that's the thing. They actually got this backwards because calling, uh, calling someone miss or missus well, uh, or, uh, or mister, well, that actually is kind of gender specific. Um, that's actually just calling them something that isn't their name. Yeah. That's calling them something that's, that's not their, their given name or whatever it is. And this person was actually asking to be called something else like you call other people. In the opposite case, what would happen is you call everyone by whatever their biological gendered term would be and you do that equally for everyone so in fact the equal protections clause wouldn't uh in my opinion in my legal opinion would not apply 
because you're not extending what they call in this case an honorific, which is a term that you're just calling people uh, to be nice to them because they're white. You're actually just calling everyone by whatever their biological lower gender case, pronouns are. Lowercase white, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, did I say it uppercase? Did it sound uppercase? Sounded, when I said, yeah, it sounded okay. uppercase yeah. to me, yeah. Well, when I said black, I meant yeah. it uppercase, just so you know. Yeah. Um, anyhow. So now, so can, on this basis, can a white person sue a court for saying lowercase white, but capitalizing black? <laughs> <laughs> under the equal protections clause because if you're going to capitalize black i would say if it happens and you have to capitalize white if you can capture this in some type of legal document documentation then yeah maybe you have a uh maybe you got a case but i don't you think see how ridiculous all this gets i don't think that means that in 1964 the supreme court said that you can't misgender people mm. under the first amendment yeah. i don't think that's what it says oh this was a dumb one from today, uh, how would you describe it? Well, so someone, uh, the SEC tweeted out that the Bitcoin ETF was approved. Um, and then a couple other things, I can't remember all of them, but uh, it did not come from the SEC. No, the SEC's uh, Twitter or X account uh, was hacked. Mm. Mm. And uh, <clears throat> so uh, Twitter safety did an investigation, they confirmed that the SEC gov. Uh, handle was compromised and they completed a preliminary investigation based on our investigation. The compromise was not due to any breach of X's systems. So Twitter was not uh, breached in any way, but rather due to an unidentified individual obtaining control over a phone number associated with the mm-hmm. sec's account through a third party. We can also confirm that the account did not have two factor authentication Enabled at the time the account was compromised. We encourage all users to enable this extra layer of security. More information and tips on how to keep your account secure can be found in our help center. So these are the people, by the way, that should take over your health care. By the way, you're talking, <laughs> talking billions of dollars in market movement. Trillions. Because, because of this uh, little mess up. Now, it would have happened the next day, probably, because... What happens on these things is that you buy the hype and you sell the news. Mm-hmm. And so it popped after this thing. And then, and then they came out and said, no, our account was hacked. It sold back off after that. I moved back up and the ETF actually came out. But and now it's back down. If you're doing, and it, yeah, it's down a bunch today. Yeah. I saw. Yeah. That's what happens. You buy the hype, you sell the news. It's in, um, it's, people have been buying in anticipation of this. Yes. It was so, priced in. Yes. It was a already priced. This was not a shock that this happened. Uh, you were saying something though. It was shocked. It was maybe a shock that it was a day early. <laughs> yeah, that that was the shock. <laughs> yeah, the shock was. Well, what I was saying is, is that these you know these folks who work in the government mm-hmm. are the ones who should handle your health care, all your private matters. You can trust them with everything, and they simply can't even add a two factor authentication. The securities. A security An exchange commission. Mm-hmm. Yeah. By the way, people digging up old tweets is always a fun thing to do. The SEC says keeping your password secure isn't the only thing you need to do to prevent yourself from becoming a victim of cyber fraud. Here's more tips. Go to this website here from the <laughs> SEC. Was that them or a hacker that posted that? I'm not sure. It could be a bad link. Um, Gary Gensler is the uh, chair of the SEC. Says this is a reminder to secure your financial accounts as well as protect against identity threats and theft and fraud. Remember threat. to. Uh, Remember to use strong passphrases or passwords and set up multi-factor authentication. He says it right there. And keep account alerts turned on. Uh, so that's pretty good. By the way, I don't think we have two-factor authentication turned on. You don't? No. 
So if someone wants to try and break into that, let me you know. Let me know if you can do it. I have it on. Give it a shot if you want to. So the thing, the thing that annoyed me on this is that um, this mess up by them undoubtedly caused people to lose some money somewhere that wouldn't have otherwise uh, because it came a day early or whatever it is that happened. So you're Um, you're wondering who do you file the complaint with? Yeah, who's gonna who's going to discipline the SEC? You might have to file it with the president. Because if someone else would have tweeted this, if Elon Musk would have tweeted that, uh, oh, hey, look, the SEC, they officially approved uh, the uh, Bitcoin ETF, and it turns out Elon Musk was making that up, well, then they would support fines and lawsuits and people going after Elon Musk for whatever amount of damages that occurred Well, because you that would day. file a complaint with the SEC. With, yeah. The SEC would do an investigation, and then they would levy fines, like they did to Elon Musk when mm-hmm. he talked about taking Tesla private. 420 thing. Yeah. Um, can you file a complaint with the SEC on the SEC? And then will the SEC investigate themselves and find that the SEC was negligent in not securing their own account and that they are liable for people losing this money and then they're going to they're going to levy fines fines against against themselves. Mm -hmm. They'll pay them. They'll pay the fines immediately. Okay, that's... Of course, uh, they're funded by taxpayers, so... They uh, so someone I I didn't look it up to see if it was true, but I had heard it before. Someone corrected something I said on Twitter was that the uh, SEC is mostly funded by the fines that they levy on companies. Um, and I'm sure they have some kind they of government. Still have a budget. I'm sure they have some kind of government yeah. operating administrative budget. Uh, but I have not confirmed that. That's what someone says. We get a lot more to come on the Dumb Leap of the Week, Liberty at Night, on the Free Talk Live Network. See you soon. Six. This is one that we talked about yesterday. Uh, it's got two parters and two things in here from Fauci. Uh, the main thing, the main headline here is that Fauci admitted in his closed door testimony that the six foot social distancing rule just sort of appeared and lacked scientific basis, even though everyone just went with it. You want to know what it is? What's that? They get $1.75 billion from Congress. Okay. So. Okay. So they do get some money from. That's from Congress, though. I mean, not taxpayers. It's <laughs> not a Congress's bank account. Yeah. Bank account. Um, Fauci admitted that the six-foot thing was made up in just lack think, scientific basis. Think okay. about how many billion-dollar companies the government has. Oh, it's a lot. Too many. You know, like, Too if many you make it to be a billion-dollar company, like, you're immensely successful. And we're talking about this small little agency, the SEC. They're, they get $1.75 billion. They're they're almost a two billion dollar company. Just a little rounding error, yeah, for the government. And they don't, and they can do things like this. <laughs> yep. God, sorry, well, I'm a little slow when I look these things up. I just um, think it's important to talk about. No, it is. I'm glad we were able to fact check that. Um, anyway, Fauci admitting that this was made up, even though everyone was following it, even though it kept people out of school. And by the way, this whole rule that helped keep people out of school, the made-up six-foot social distancing thing that the CDC went with, that everyone went with, um, he also said something that we missed talking about yesterday, that he is not convinced that kids suffered learning loss due to pandemic school closures. Oh, they didn't. Yeah. Hmm. 
that um that I didn't bring in all of the all of the numbers, but he's not convinced of it. He's not convinced. Yeah. And so that's probably also in talking about the fact that we had a lot of school closures from this BS six foot social distancing thing that had no scientific basis behind it. And then he also, I'm sure someone said, well, this caused learning loss and all that. And he comes back and says, I'm not convinced kids suffer the learning loss from not going to school. How about we just don't have him go to school anymore? Hmm. Be good. Did you see that? Fauci doesn't recall much about COVID pandemic. Yeah, I think he said he didn't recall over a hundred times in the testimony when they talked about the beginning of the pandemic. Hmm. So um, I remember it very well. Remember, because we covered it on the show about how uh, all these Democrats were calling people xenophobic for avoiding (laughs) Chinatown and all this stuff back in early March. That was late February, early March. And they, they were all out there saying everything's fine. Then no big deal. Everything's fine. And then what do you know? March 9th. I can remember March 9th. I don't think it was March 9th. (laughs) I think it was March 9th. Wasn't it? I don't know. Pretty sure it was March 9th. Cause we had the tornado on March. I thought that was the 10th. Was it? I thought yeah. it was March 4th or 5th. Mm, I don't remember. Oh, you, I think uh, you could be right on that, but probably not. Uh, let's go on to dumb bleep number seven while we're fact-checking this one. Uh, this is a post from the Daily Wire, but this is the Colorado Secretary of State. Remember, Colorado was the first one that moved to uh, remove Trump from their primary ballot. And she's being asked on CNN if there is a risk of disenfranchising voters uh, when you remove their choice from your ballot. Uh, Of course, she has things to say. We're finally moving on to some January 6th stuff. Remember, this week encompasses January 6th, so we can talk about some good things here. Uh, Here's what she has to say. Do you think that there's a risk here of disenfranchising voters? I think the biggest risk of disenfranchising voters happened on January 6th when Donald Trump tried to steal the presidency from the American people. Make no mistake, that is exactly what he intended to do. We are a country of laws and of constitutions. There are qualifications for office. Uh, So, for example. Okay, so that's enough of that. Not disenfranchising. You know what is disenfranchising was what happened on January 6th, even though uh, the vote went through and Biden took office and Trump left office and everything is fine. He's not Um, there still. Yeah, Yeah. everything ended up fine. You know, it is disenfranchising. You know, asking people to present an ID when they vote, that's (laughs) that's disenfranchising voters, Mm -hmm. you know? Um, Yeah, just some kind of confirming that you are the person that you're voting for. That's disenfranchising. But this, when you literally remove the top choice for most of the Republicans from your ballot, that's not disenfranchised. When you take people off your ballot? Yeah. Uh-uh. When you take away options? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Not disenfranchising. Like whenever you make it impossible for libertarians to get on the ballot in Tennessee. That's not she disenfranchising went, libertarian voters. You always have that deny, deflect. She went straight to deflect. Yeah. Yeah. January 6th. Yeah. When you bring up... <laughs> The day which will live in infamy. What I hate about this is how they've clearly, and we all know this, how they've built this up to be such a thing that it wasn't. An important thing to remember. And now they can use it. Yeah. By doing this insurrection, our democracy was almost taken away from us, all this. What are they saying was going to happen? 
on January 6th. Are they saying that somehow these people with fire extinguishers and flagpoles were going to seize control of the United States government and that the vote was never going to go through and that Trump was going to stay in office and all the military leaders, they were all going to keep listening to Trump and no one was going to fight back against this at all because uh, people with flagpoles had taken over the U.S. Capitol for a couple hours and if they just would have made it all the way in and they wouldn't have shot that Ashley Babbitt girl, then we would have lost our democracy that day, you know. And, like, you're actually supposed to believe that this would have succeeded? Like, the guy with the horns would still be in there with his, with yeah. his staff or whatever. I watched like, White House Down yeah. last week. And did they, they use guns or did they use they, flagpoles They used all stuff? kinds of stuff, and yeah. they still didn't win. Really? You know? Hmm. They, they, in fact, took over the White House. But it's still they still didn't make it, you know. So, so like the most annoying thing is that we're supposed to. Have pretend, you seen Olympus has fallen? Yeah, they had all kinds of stuff out there. All kinds of, they they were using yeah. javelin missiles. Mm. <laughs> they had RPGs. Pretty cool. Pretty yeah. cool. They had C one thirties out there, you know, flying yeah. around shooting stuff. It's pretty sweet. Yeah, and they still couldn't. <laughs> still couldn't do it. Still couldn't do it. Uh uh-uh. uh. But uh uh-uh. uh. But the Republicans almost did on you know, January in, in, 6th. In designated, <laughs> in designated Survivor, all of them were just killed in an explosion in the first episode, except for one guy, this lowly guy, Kiefer Sutherland, the... Um, transportation tra- secretary. Whatever, I don't know what I've seen. Like I think he was transportation I, secretary. Yeah, something like that. And yeah, they were the still The last able, guy on the list. We still had democracy after that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah. But not this. Mm. And so... It's so annoying that we're all supposed to pretend like this is almost the day that democracy actually almost died. Like there's was this was a couple flagpoles away from being successful. Yeah. It's ridiculous. It's like when you get a hangnail, you know, and your whole <laughs> life is over. You just like over you just over dramatize. Mm-hmm. Oh gosh. Here we go. Number so. eight. Um, this MSNBC host. It's all so fake. That's the problem. That's the problem with this. Here's an NBC, MSNBC host. He's uh, interviewing a, uh, I think this is a Capitol Police officer. He's got a book out. I don't know if this is the one that's running for office or not. There's one who's running for office. The, this guy's got a book out. We'll see. And just the, the somber, This it really hits this host hard, thinking about all the people who died that day. Is Michael Fanone, former D.C. Metropolitan Police Officer, Courage for America Council Member, and author of Hold the Line, The Insurrection and One Cop's Battle for America's Soul. <laughs> Officer Fanone, I'm going to try to get through this. Um, thank you for what you did three years ago today. Um, please tell me your thoughts um, on this third anniversary. <laughs> Um, (laughs) what what is happening we are uh i mean still in the midst of he's like oh i didn't realize we were method acting here Uh, let me get in the mood just like you know from braveheart hold (laughs) he held that line line. this actually is the guy who saved democracy right here that's why the guy's crying because of the the bravery yeah that uh took place Anything else? That, I actually haven't watched this clip. I was uh, watching so, the, yeah. the same fight that began uh, on January 6th, 2021. Um, and we have a lot at, at stake in this country. Uh, 
and I think that it deserves every American's attention to get through this. Hold on. Officer known. I'm going to try to get through this. Um, Thank you for what you did. Okay. Three years ago. I do hope that this guy's face at this point is like, okay, dude, a little too much. (laughs) (laughs) I know we said somber tone and all that, but uh, this is not good. Okay. Oh man, that was funny. It's so like uh, this guy's really so choked up about what happened. That do you There's know how many no people? No way. Keep googling. How many people die every day in the U.S., Charlie? Fifty thousand. Fifty thousand. I don't think that's way too many. Is that too many? How many people? Um, let's just see. Let's see how many people die every day uh, in the U.S. specifically. I should always just keep Chat GPT up. Here we go. Let's see what they say. About 60,000. 60,523. I guess a lot of those are just old people. Not that that's not a big thing. Oh, wait, that's I don't just mean one that state. That Sorry, that's just one that state. That can't be. It can't have 60,000. Yeah. Surely not. Yeah, man. I don't think so. Daily death rate in the U.S. according to chat oh, GPT. Oh, sorry, that's by year. 7,500 according to them. Uh, the seven-day average uh, runs... Oh, that's for COVID. <laughs> <laughs> yeah are we talking a covid year nate um or? no no non-covid year it is an election year though so maybe it'll be a covid what? year later well, okay on. i know about a fifty thousand people die every single year just from the flu about forty thousand people die every year from car wrecks well let me just tell you these daily numbers right here um cancer accounts for uh, approximately 1600 deaths per day this is from chat gpt so it has to be true mm-hmm uh, stroke results in about 500 deaths. Chronic lower respiratory disease, 400 deaths. Um, accidents, about 300 daily deaths. Um, Alzheimer's, 200. Diabetes, 150. Flu and pneumonia led to about 100 deaths per day. And suicide is responsible for 50 deaths every day. And so it's not that you wouldn't get upset when something bad happens or whatever, but I'm just really wondering if this guy is so choked up he can't talk. A professional news anchor is so choked up he can't talk because um, Ashley Babbitt got shot and uh, a, a cop had a stroke a day later. Um, I'm not really sure if that's really what he's getting choked up about. <laughs> Bailey said 15,000 people die from guns every day. Yeah, yeah. So <laughs> I just did the math. Children. I did the math um, based on, let's see, there were 3.4 million deaths in 2021. So it was about 10,000 a day, mm. almost 10,000 a day. So yeah, I would say seven to 10,000 a day. It's a big country, man. It's a lot of people. Yeah. Said seventy five hundred a day. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Uh, let's move on to the last two here. But you're right. This one person, <laughs> very died important, in this. and it was an insurrectionist that died. I mean, those are less than people. Yeah. So who even cares, right? Yeah. But it was the democracy that almost died. Yeah. Her name should day. be lowercase mm-hmm. in the news reports. <laughs> Joe Biden says and this is when he was uh, he gave a speech on the uh, January sixth insurrection. He gave the speech out near Valley Forge. We'll talk about that here in a minute. It says you can't be pro-insurrectionist and pro-American. Hmm. I think that that's uh, absolutely gall darn wrong, in my opinion. That would, that would be an oxymoron. Yeah. Yeah. It's, so the funny part about this, and um, 
I think it was a guy from the LP who pointed this out, but he gave the speech of Valley Forge. Valley Forge is a place where the uh, Continental Army hold up for like six months. And um, Continental Army, by the way, was a ragtag band of insurrectionists who were fighting against their government uh, to try and form a new government. And so we gave the speech, anti-insurrection speech, uh, at Valley Forge, which is commemorating a group of people who were literally insurrectioning a government (laughs) (laughs) at the time. I just think that that's a little bit ridiculous. Mm -hmm. It's an important place, by the way. I was reading about it. They hold up there for about six months, and while they were there, they trained. And when they... When they got there, they weren't they weren't all that just great. Farmers with pitchforks, yeah, they had pitchforks, <laughs> and that was it. Uh, now they could over they could overflow the current U.S. government with those pitchforks, I'm sure. Yeah, um, but uh, they they took that time to train and to get better, and and uh, wrote a new field manual. And uh, when they came back out, turns out they were marching to the beat of their snare drummer better, not not someone else's drum like they had been marching to, mm-hmm. but. The army finally figured out how to get them to march to the beat of their drum, and then they turned, you, the rest is history. Mm. The rest is that the yeah. insurrection succeeded. Thank God. <laughs> so, yeah. Anyhow, that's pretty dumb, Joe. All right, last thing. Kick it back to economics here, Charlie. How would you describe this? All right, MC this, squared. Oh, that's that's not said, it. Said I think about this often. Um, this is a picture of somebody's door that has a. Uh, a poster on it mm-hmm. seems to be a some type of looks like a poster. We can confirm poster. Hold on, you hold, would on do some hold kind on, of project. Hold on a sec. Yeah, it is a poster. Okay, yeah, just got word. All right, there's a carrot on it, and it says, "If we each grow a large crop." Now they've capitalized every letter. That's weird. Of every word, you shouldn't do that. It looks weird. Yeah, they said, "If we each grow a large crop of different food, we could all trade with each other." <laughs> And eat for practically free. Grow food, not long. I didn't read this before. <laughs> and it says food is free on the thing. Food is free. <laughs> so, what a genius this idea! Is a monumental plan. <laughs> monumental plan. I hope everyone here can get on board with that. Okay. Each of us. Now, how do we decide what crop? How do you decide what crop? That's what I want to know. Yeah. But each of us are going to get together. And we're each going to grow food. That's all. That's what we're going to do. <laughs> we're going to each be farmers. That way we can all eat for free. <laughs> and then none of us ever have to pay for food again. No, it's free. Because I grew something that you wanted and you grew something that I wanted. Yeah. Now don't worry about like some guy who thinks he ought to be building houses. Then we need that guy to grow carrots. <laughs> okay. And not only that, like yeah. it's not <clears throat> free because you're still laboring. You are laboring. To grow this food. That's true. And what if your food sucks and nobody wants to trade with you? Mm, that's yeah. not good. Like you grew corn, but it's terrible corn and it doesn't taste good and insects are messing with it. It's all rotted out. What are you going to trade that for? Somebody's you're going to trade that for Nate's ripe tomatoes. I got to. Okay. Let's bump this up. You a got notch. a whole van full of tomatoes. <laughs> They're delicious. I like this guy's idea. Actually, in this case, I'm going to assume it was a girl's idea. Um, <laughs> it's a great idea, but because of the handwriting. Yeah. The handwriting. Ain't no guy the wrote that. Look at that W. Yeah. Um, no dude wrote that. If you took a handwriting expert, they'd probably be kind of confused because some of these letters don't match up multiple times. But whatever, whatever, we won't pay attention to that right now. Um, let's slightly make it better. How about a couple people grow food because they're really good at growing food, and they got 
that they just have the skill to do it. Okay. I don't know what food they're going to go. Well, and then like maybe you're pretty good at uh, the building houses or whatever. No, that's too complicated a name. Just let's just stick people, with food. Some people need houses though. No, but like, we need free food. But what about how are you going to trade for free food? Like, if you don't have a guy building houses, though, what's he? Get? I guess he has to grow food too. But we're all going to die of uh, exposure. These people already point. have houses, though. Okay, I mean, yeah. Don't okay, have to worry about this. How about this though? Instead, what if we each did what we were good at, and then we just traded like a representation of the value to other people of the thing that we just did mm. instead of doing that? Could we do that? Is that a good idea? The Fed Haters Club just—they just brought up Chaz. <laughs> there you go. I forgot about Actually, that. Little we community. don't have to worry about the person building houses because housing is a human right. You're right, Bailey. Yeah. So they're mm-hmm. just going to be there. You don't worry about oh, that. Look around. The houses are already here, yeah. Nate. So that's right. We don't need. Who needs more houses? The houses You've are got, already here. You know how many people you could house in this place right here? You yeah. fit a hundred people in here, probably. Probably just fine. Yeah. And they'd be better at growing the crops outside too. Get all those people. So yeah. that's a that's a good idea. I probably just grow food them for all to them. Grow. <laughs> okay, so <laughs> just to step out of our making fun of this for I get what you're saying, bro. It's back to being a bro now, I guess. Yeah. I get it. You think um, a bro would put a heart on there like that though and say food is free? That's true. Okay, yeah. it was definitely a chick. Yeah. <laughs> I get what you're saying, ho. <laughs> uh but not everyone wants to grow food. Not everyone's going to be able to grow food. Instead, we should all do things that we're, that we're good at. And if we can't do a specific thing, maybe you can just exchange your labor for someone else who's doing a specific thing, and they could facilitate you being able to build, or you being able to farm, or you being able to uh, make a paper so people can write stupid posters and put them up on doors, <laughs> stuff like that. Um, and in fact, you would en- end up getting to the system that we have right now, which is which is a bartering system. We just use a by the me- way. We use a different means of exchange. It was for that system. It was literally like a hundred and thirty years ago. <clears throat> almost everyone was a farmer. Yeah, almost everyone did this. This is this is literally what happened about a hundred and thirty years ago. And some people who stepped outside the box and they were uh, blacksmiths Very, or something. You know, they still grew their own food. Probably. Nah, they would. They would most people still grew. Basically, their own food. The guy who's putting the shoes on the horses for the farmer, I mean, he gets food from the farmer, you know. You don't think his children were working the crops? <laughs> yeah, probably. In his own house? Something like that. Yeah. It could have been. That's because no one had anything. And then, and then as we developed as a society, as you said, people who were really good at growing food started trading with people who were really good at the horseshoeing or whatever the case is. And we, we are far more advanced now than that. But they're... Here's the biggest problem with that poster is they think <clears throat> that food will then be free. Yeah. You know? What's free but, mean? Well, you just keep a couple seeds, Nate, from your crop. That way you can plant again. Well, let's talk about what free means, though. Because when things aren't free, when you got to pay for something, what does that mean? That means that it's you... It's not free. That's what that means. Well, it means that you spent time <laughs> doing something. And this is... In exchange for paper... <laughs> And so it's not free. But the very first thing you said about this poster was it's not free because you have to expend energy to grow the food. You have to spend time to do it. 
And so what you have to decide is, is your time best spent growing whatever crappy food you're about to grow back there? Or would it be best spent doing something else? And then you get paper in exchange, and then you exchange paper to the person who is growing the food instead of taking them some other kind of food. Yeah. Hmm. I wish... Sometimes I, I feel like being able to think is a burden. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Like... I wish life could be this simple, you know? It like, used to be that simple, and apparently everyone wished it wasn't anymore. No, but like <laughs> Nina Turner, you know, you could just, if I could just have these solutions and feel good about myself. Yeah. You know? That would be nice. And not think through it all the way, you know? Imagine if you liked Imagine. war and you thought that was a good idea, you'd be happy as a clam right now. Yeah. I swear, I could... Someone like Ben Shapiro, I could see his pants tense from here today. Lindsey Graham's at Chuck E. Cheese celebrating right now. <laughs> he had a party last night. You know, he's, yeah, he's ordering all the pizza, having himself a pizza Chuck E. Cheese party. Uh, it's time to get votes in, by the way. Um, number one. We got poker to play tonight. <laughs> Come on. Yeah, I'm a maybe. I'm a hard. Jesus, Nate. I'm a hard probably maybe. Do you know on how often one. I ask Nate to hang out? <laughs> I knew you were. I and told Lacey last night, I'm like, here's the deal. I ask him to hang out all the time. <laughs> And it, 95% of the time, he turns me down, which is why I don't think we're friends anymore. I'm a hot we're just, commodity. We're just... You see what scarcity does? We're, <laughs> we're not really friends anymore. It's just business. That's it. That's all we do. Uh, number one is Trump immunity claim. Number two is uh, Delta's inclusive language guidance. Number three is uh, shovel snow on public property or else. Number four is the First Amendment doesn't protect misgendering. Number five is the SEC account hack because two-factor authentication wasn't turned on. <laughs> Number six is Fauci admits that the six-foot was made up and he questioned learning loss by children during the pandemic. Number seven, removing Trump doesn't disenfranchise voters. Um, number eight, the MS MSNBC anchor crying... Number nine, Biden on the insurrection. Can't be pro-insurrection and pro-America. And number 10, this uh, epic economic idea, monumental idea. Let me tell you what. Uh, so get your votes in. Go ahead. There's not as many votes in as there are people hanging out. Uh, but uh, I think we have a clear winner here, and it's Dr. Anthony Fiaci admitting that six foot was made up and uh, didn't know whether or not kids had any learning loss during the pandemic. So that's the winner for this week. Folks, if you'd like to make submissions and do some voting, remember you can go to joingmail.com. We'll see you next week on Liberty at Night. This is Mark Edge with Free Talk Live. Mark Warden with PorcupineRealEstate.com is one of the best real estate agents I've ever worked with. I've been through about two dozen real estate transactions in my life, and I feel like I know what I'm doing, but there's always the things that you don't know that you don't know. Mark Warden with PorcupineRealEstate.com found a problem with the house that I was buying that ultimately saved me $65,000. He's a consummate professional, holds his people to his own high standards, and I would unequivocally recommend him for any real estate purchase in New Hampshire. Don't sell yourself short. Contact PorcupineRealEstate.com.